This episode contains some adult language. Listener discretion is advised. Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Welcome back, everybody, to the Almost Sideways podcast. We are so glad you are joining us once again. This is episode 171. We are recording this on Sunday, April 10th, 2022, at 4 p.m. Pacific time. I am your host, Terry Plucknett, and we've got the whole crew today. We've got Zach, we've got Todd, and we have Adam. How's it going, everybody? Here we go. Shit. There we go. There we go. Man, Will Smith, huh? Talking about those. Oh wait, that's a different one. I was supposed to be. On. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You you fell asleep for our Oscars recap, so you weren't able to be there. You, well, you know, you, you missed it. The last thing that was mentioned after, or the first thing that was mentioned after we hit stop on the record, is Todd went, "Where the hell's Adam?" Like that was that was the very next words that came out of anyone's mouths. Yeah, I felt like an idiot, to be honest with you. I laid down for like 10 minutes just to put That's her to funny. bed, and so I fell asleep. So did Will Smith. So. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, anyway. Todd, Todd, how much money did you just make off Scotty Scheffler winning the Masters? Uh, Well, I had him at 14 to 1, so I made $140. I didn't bet as big as I should have. Yeah. How much money did you win at the Oscars? That's what that's the, what the fans really want to know. It was I had almost seven hundred dollars. That's that's yeah. almost as much as Adam's bonus. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah. that joke's never gonna get old. Good jokes never die. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, let's get into this. We've got a lot to talk about. We've got a lot to discuss, and we've got an amazing movie to deep dive today. But first. Uh, what are we drinking? Let's start with Adam. Uh, well, I think this is fitting. I just got some, uh, you know, Jameson whiskey, just straight up. So I think this is, they did a lot of whiskey in that movie. So there we go. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. Awesome. Zach, what do you got? Yeah, I really wanted to drink champagne, but the whole city of Lawrence was out of champagne, a la Houston in 1969. So I am having the last of my Sierra Nevada pale ales. I feel like Edward Norton ends up in Nevada at the end of the movie. Maybe not. It looks kind of like Nevada, so I'll, I'll, I'll say that. I think it looks more like New Mexico. You would say that. <laughs> I don't know. I would, because I did. He, he'd, become a, he'd become friends with uh, Jesse Pinkman. <laughs> All right. I, I feel like the, the, the look of the photographer is more Nevada than New Mexico, but I digress. We can, we can say this for later. <laughs> Todd, what are you drinking? I'm drinking uh, the original Backpacker Moonshine 100 Proof Corn Whiskey. It's uh, it is uh, it is currently burning. So this is good. <laughs> nice. So I have this is uh, out of Worthy Brewing. This is one of the ones I've had around for a little while. Uh, this is the Northwest IPA. It's a good nice. one. Just just solid, good solid beer. All right. When we got a pine cone on your IPA. You know we might good. as well just it's get this out of the way. Oh. <laughs> it's a hop. It's not it a looks, pine cone. It looks like a pine cone. It's a hop. Look, it's a hop. Can we uh can we toast uh 
real pain for my sham friends and real sham for my pain friends. Or <laughs> yeah, fuck, fuck Sundays. <laughs> he says that too, by the way. You ruined you ruined that quote. I did. You did. And we're only right. four minutes in. Uh, well, uh, make sure you're subscribing, rating, reviewing wherever you find the podcast, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. Um, let's see here. Where else is it? Spotify. Um, all sorts of places. CastBox, I think we're on now. I don't even remember everything we're on it anymore. Uh, but yeah, find us everywhere. What have we been watching? Let's go to Todd. Terry. Me? I'm going first. I'll go first. Okay, I'll go first. Fine. Okay. So my my Oscar watch this week was from ten years ago. It was one of many uh, documentaries I'm watching this year because <laughs> I didn't see like any of them in any of the years I've been looking at. Uh, so this one is called The Gatekeepers. Have any of you heard of this one at all? No, nope. heard of it. Okay. So The Gatekeepers. It is a documentary. That is uh, that interviews all the surviving former heads of the Shin Bet, the Israeli security agency. So basically, like the Israeli CIA, um, they are the, everyone who's a member of this organization is completely 100% anonymous, except for those that become the head of the agency. And so this uh, is like the first time any of them have been interviewed, and they interview all of them. And talk about what it's like uh, to to run this organization, what it was like to run some of these uh, these uh, undercover operations, um, the uh, the philosophy around the the Israeli Palestinian conflict over there. Uh, it's one of those. There, there's a lot of documentaries that it feels like as you get going. Um, you're like, okay, 15 minutes in, I know exactly what this is going to be. And we're just going to hear more and more of the same stuff for the next hour and a half. And when this started, I was like, okay, I know exactly what this is going to be. But then as it went on, you realize these guys are like, this is like full confession, completely candid conversations, willing to talk about pretty much anything and everything that they did. And, uh, like they're, they're talking about, um, one of the guys gives like blow by blow a plot to assassinate a Palestinian leader by putting an explosive in his cell phone <laughs> and, and how they, how they executed the entire operation. Um, and then they talked about how they, uh, they had a chance to take out like the entire like leadership of the terrorist group that was, that was uh, against them. And it was going to take blowing up an entire building, but the prime minister wouldn't let them blow up the entire building. And so they didn't kill any of them. Um, and, and like completely threw the prime minister under the bus. It was, it like, you don't hear interviews like this from people in this, in these types of positions. So, uh, as it was going on, it really got fascinating. And so, uh, yeah, three and a half star documentary, uh, check it out. If you get an opportunity, it was a really fascinating watch to hear such candor from, uh, people who are supposed to be known for their secrecy. So three and a half stars for the gatekeepers. I think the real question about that is, uh, was Eric Bana in the movie? I mean, <laughs> he did so much for the Jews. If 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 we get laid tonight, it's because of Eric Bana. I, mean, I think he's I'm... the MVP of this podcast, actually. <laughs> well, he finally, also was... we get revenge. He also was the, the star. Of, he also was the star of Deadfall. So, 
That's true. The other deadfall. Which I, I was just updating the website today. It uh, the other deadfall is now on Canopy. So there you go. It's going to be featured on our website all week. Yes. <laughs> all right. Now let's go to Todd. Okay, so I watched this really random movie I came across. It's called Watching the Detectives. Uh, it's from 2008, directed by Peter Soter. And it stars Killian Murphy as this guy named Neil. He works in a video store, and he like loves film noir to like an uncomfortable extent. And he's also a prankster, and which actually costs him his girlfriend. But he, he, he's constantly setting people up, his friends, his girlfriend, and everybody. And then he meets this girl named Violet, played by Lucy Liu. And she rents a tape from the store and kind of weasels her way out of paying for it, but somehow makes him owe her for some money. So they, and then they end up dating and he, she becomes like this femme fatale that he didn't never knew that he needed in his life. There's also an early Jason Sudeikis role uh, in this. Uh, it's definitely got some high fidelity vibes and how it uh, paints its main character, but it, it's, it's like this elaborate prankster thing that gives it almost like con artist vibe in like the vein of like a, the brothers bloom or something it's it's a really weird movie and i and i never heard of it i only turned it on because of the cast and the and the uh log line but it, it's fun it, it's uh it breezes by it, a movie like movies like this can kind of overstay the welcome but it doesn't really do that it's it's a totally random comedy and it's it's free basically on every streaming app that is for free so i'm giving it three stars it, it was a lot of fun Nice, nice. Yeah, somehow this movie has 4,700 votes on IMDb, which is crazy. I don't know who's watching it. I've never heard of it before. The The poster of the movie looks like a fake poster from an episode of Seinfeld, like if they were walking into a theater. It doesn't look <laughs> real. Lunch. Yeah, I can see that. All right, nice. Zach, what have you been watching? Okay, I watched uh, the winner of Best uh, at the Cannes Film Festival last year, Best Actor, friend of the podcast, Caleb Landry-Jones. We, we know him, we love him. He won Best Actor at Cannes last year for a movie called Nitrum, which was yeah. just released on uh, Amazon Prime, and I watched it. And uh, it's a very serious movie, actually, uh, from the director of The Snowtown Murders, which I know Todd is a fan of. Actually, Snowtown, excuse me. Um, is we that different than the Snowtown Murders? At some point. Oh, okay, same thing. All right, well, you get the idea. Um, anyway, this is also a movie set in Australia, although technically it's set in Tasmania. I'm not sure if that's the same as Australia, but whatever. And it is the true story of um, the Port Arthur Massacre, which was a uh, mass shooting where 35 people were killed. It was like uh, one of the biggest mass shootings in uh, history, and I'd really never heard of it. Um, but apparently it was the event that prompted Australia to outlaw um, automatic assault rifles. And uh, because they're a smart country, they actually followed through with it and they uh, got rid of them. Um, and uh, the movie is called Nitrum because uh, the name of the killer who they really they don't they make an intentional point to not reveal his name through the movie. But in real life, his name was Martin, which is Nitrum backwards. Anyway, uh, Caleb Landry Jones in this movie plays the killer. Uh, he has a, an Australian accent in the movie that I think he pulls off pretty well. He's basically kind of like a man child. He's like intellectually and developmentally stunted. He lives with his parents. And in the first part of the movie, he develops this odd, sort of odd Sunset Boulevard-esque, Harold and Maude-esque relationship with an older uh, lady. She's like a rich heiress who basically lives indoors, and she's played in the movie by uh, S.E. Davis. And uh, his parents, by the way, are played by Judy Davis and Anthony LaPaglia. Great to see them acting again. 
And, you know, the movie kind of follows a trajectory that you would see in movies like Elephant or The Assassination of Richard Nixon. Gradually, this guy starts, I mean, he was never really stable to begin with, but he kind of starts losing his marbles even more. And then, of course, there are some unwise decisions made along the way to, that permit him to have weapons. And, uh, yeah, all, all things go pr pretty, pretty badly. Um, really interesting kind of fact-based drama, very serious, obviously, you know, kind of a good companion piece to, we need to talk about Kevin because a, a lot of it is also about the, the guilt, the guilt of the parents, particularly the mother character doesn't really show the, the shooting in a lot of detail. It's actually not a really violent movie, which is surprising given that the, the guy directed Snowtown, which was a pretty violent movie. I'm giving it three stars, um, probably closer to three and a half. I, I, I enjoyed the movie for what it was. I kind of felt like... I don't know what the purpose of it was. Like it was, I guess, to get in the, inside the head of this guy who always kind of remained aloof and was obviously autistic or you know Asperger's some 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 issue with him. But I guess I don't really know what the point of the movie was. I, it proselytizes a little bit about gun violence at the end, but you just kind of feel icky watching it. But uh, it's a pretty cool performance by Caleb Landry Jones, and I can understand why he won at the Cannes Film Festival. So I, I'd encourage you to check it out. It's pretty good. It sounds like a total Todd movie. Yeah, it's been on my list. I didn't know that it was actually getting released. So, Yeah, I mean, there's like some quirky humor in it. Like, again, the Harold and Maude relationship that he has with S.E. Davis. Like, I wish that could have been a movie on its own. Obviously, it's a very grave story. But like, you know, it's 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 kind of curious and funky in a weird way. And by the way, you know, I have a new dog who's in my room now. And uh uh, I'm, he may distract during the podcast. And now anytime there are dogs that bark in a movie, he barks too. And there are lots of dogs in this movie. So it was, it, it kind of soiled my impression of the movie because of how much barking there was and how much he uh, barked <laughs> as a result. So side note. Todd, is there, is there a movie that uh, portrays that where the main character is a, is a murderer that you haven't loved? Well, I mean, I hated we. Uh, we need to talk about Kevin. So. Yeah, that's what I'm gonna say. Oh. That that was on paper a great Todd movie, but you absolutely, I think it was your worst of that year, right? Pretty much. Yeah, I think I give it half a star. Yeah, but I mean, I in general, yeah, I do, I do love movies about murderers. Yeah. yeah. Cool. All right, murderers Adam. Cool. What what did uh what did you watch this week? Uh, well, I kind of well, I was we were obviously planning on watching Ambulance. I think didn't quite go to there yet but i'm i'm going to talk about sonic the hedgehog 2 yeah there we go the, there yeah because that's the big indie film that, that came out this week i uh, know but sonic the hedgehog 2 is directed by uh, jeff fowler it's the second adaptation of this uh, video game universe here which i was a big fan of the first one it's one of the it's going to be a movie the first film is going to be a movie that's always going to be near and dear to my heart because it was like the last movie i saw with my dad in theater so it's always going to be one of those i did a rewatch of that one. I still really enjoyed, but going to the second one, I had expectations of just, I hope it's a fun movie and it kind of really just delivered on all levels. It was definitely stepped up the, a lot of the action sequence sequences, some really good comedy. Uh, Jim Carrey as Dr. Robotic is this ideal casting. And I hope that when they, if they, when they do make the third one, that he returns as that character, at least for one more role. Cause I think that would be awesome. But in this one, we see Sonic the Hedgehog team up with, uh, some fan favorites of Tales uh, from the video games as well. And she's, uh, Ben Schwartzman plays uh, Sonic and Colleen O'Shaughnessy oh, plays the voice of Tales. And now we see a, then a new villain uh, played by Idris Elba, who plays Knuckles, which was one of my favorite characters from the uh, 
the video game franchise. But seeing this like in a bigger scope of this adventure, looking for the emerald, uh, this emerald that has you can get all power from it, and seeing them trying to take down Doctor Robotnik. I think this movie has a lot of heart that the first one um, also had, but it takes it to a bigger level. The comedy was really fun. The pack theater, everybody was really having a a fun time there and it was just a good fun time for the whole entire family so it's easily a three-star film for me i cannot wait to actually watch it again and i just think the sonic movies are uh kicking on all cylinders looking forward to the third film and that post-credit sequence was amazing can't wait for the third one when they do do it and uh, i think it's kind of funny if they make three good movies in a row that's kind of almost better than all the video games um that are really good but uh yeah sonic the hedgehog 2 is a much must watch in a packed theater with the whole family so take it out awesome but it's gonna be without jim carrey if they make a third one right well they but they they've already said they will not recast so they won't he just won't be in it Hmm. but they hope i hope he comes back in it i think he is his over-the-top craziness it works perfectly it was like prime jim carrey without going too heavily into the obscure so I think he, I, I think he delivers and as that character. So it's kind of perfect ideal casting for me. Yeah, I'll say I love the first one. Uh, I haven't gotten a chance to get to the second one yet, but it's kind of like a requirement that I take my son to go see it because he's now obsessed with Sonic the Hedgehog because yeah. of the first movie. So yeah, my daughter absolutely loved it. Even my, the older uh, teenagers too, they uh, they loved it as well. So it's good, good time. Yeah, I didn't know that that movie came out this weekend. So when I saw the movie we're going to review, I was like, what is all, what are all these people doing at the theater? And I thought it was Morbius. I'm like, did Morbius oh, just no, have no, a no. sudden resurgence of popularity among five-year-olds? <laughs> I mean, it's possible. Either that or Michael Bay. So That's true. The five-year-olds love Bayhem. They love The Rock. Yeah, yeah. Big with that demo. <laughs> Surprisingly. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, now that we've heard everything we've been watching, let's get to our featured review. And for that this week, we did not see Sonic the Hedgehog 2. We did not see Ambulance, but we did see a movie that uh, came out kind of really limited and just got a wide release this weekend. Um, And I don't know about you guys, but I saw it in a fairly packed theater. Uh, there were quite a few people there to watch this one. Not for you guys, no. Oh, that's. Bet, there were probably oh. ten people. My theater was pretty full. Yeah, my my mine was. I saw it opening night though. Yeah, oh, I, I saw it like I four did. hours ago. Oh okay, yeah. I mine was probably like eighty percent full. Anyways, what we're talking about is everything, everywhere, all at once. Across the multiverse, I've seen thousands of Evelyns. You can access all of the memories, their emotions, even the skills. There's a great evil spreading throughout the many verses. And you may be your only chance of stopping it. Don't make me fight you. I am really good. I don't believe you. Uh, starring Michelle Yeoh as well as others. Zach, you're going to start us out on this one. And before you do, I just have to say, every time I've seen this this uh, this title, Zach, you'll appreciate this. All I can, all that rolls through my head is, can I interest you in everything all of the time? A little bit of everything and anything and everything all of the time. That's all, that's all I'm thinking about whenever I hear that title. So, 
Nice. Yeah, I, I did not make that uh, connection. When I look at the title of this movie and I look at especially the like the poster, I see like a beer label, like some sort of <laughs> organic drink. Maybe Terry's obscure beer. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah a gimmick Terry beer or something with caffeine in it. Uh, anyway, yes. Everything, everywhere, all the time. No, all, all at once. God, so you you're already doing it. Now it's going to mess me up. <laughs> I, can, oh. I I even said the title wrong when I went to go buy my ticket. I said anything, oh. everywhere, all at once, and they're like, everything, what? everywhere, all at once. Yeah, that one. That one. I mean, this movie is does have a little bit of Bo Burnham inside in it. Like the part when he does, like he he goes, he does the thing where he's like analyzing the video on the top, and then he analyzes that video and that video. I guess that's like his multiverse. Anyway, uh, everything, everywhere, all at once is directed by Daniels. Um, I'm on a podcast with Plucknets. But Daniels are two directors who happen to be named Daniel, Dan Kwan, and Daniel Shirt, Shirt, Shiner, Shinert, Shinert, uh, Bueller, um, and they did a Swiss Army Man, which is a, a Terry movie. And um, I've actually never seen Swiss Army Man, interestingly enough. But I do know it has uh, dead uh, Daniel Radcliffe fart jokes, which always sound um, exciting. <laughs> Anyway, um, everything, everywhere, all at once. I, yeah, I picked, I must have picked the short straw on this. I don't know how to describe this movie. Uh, it is a, it's a non-Marvel uh, multiverse movie. And I guess we could say the close, it has a lot of, it has a few cinematic relatives. It's a little bit like um, uh, Ready Player One. Um, I, I would say it's like the closest sort of vibe to it in some ways. Um, it stars uh, Michelle Yeoh. Great to see her again. Um, she plays, uh, uh, Evelyn in the movie and she owns a laundromat with her husband uh, Wayman and she has a daughter named Joy and at the beginning of the movie um, Evelyn is going through some issues uh, she uh, has some marital issues with her husband uh, her, her elderly father is there they're throw I believe they're throwing him a party and her daughter comes by her daughter is a lesbian and there's some friction with the mother daughter and then on top of that uh, the uh, laundromat is on the verge of foreclosure because of of a tax audit and uh michelle yo has to go see a tax auditor played by uh, jamie lee curtis kind of like doing her impression of like mariah carey and precious i kind of got that vibe from her lots of makeup um anyway uh something magical happens though once they get to the tax office which i don't think has ever been a, a sentence that has never been uttered in a movie before something magical at the tax office uh we find out that actually uh evelyn um is, has there are in, in the world of um, infinite multiverses evelyn is one of the few people that has been able to uh get away from this demonic force uh kind of vague demonic force known as jobu tabaki and um, and you guys can start correcting me if I'm getting this wrong, because at about the 30 minute mark of this movie, it really started to go into Charlie Kaufman territory. I'm not sure I, I totally understood what happened, but basically it's an array of Evelyn being able to shift from one uh, multiverse version of herself to another. And the sort of gimmick that the movie has, which I thought was kind of curious, was that uh, the way that she morphs between characters is when people do, she has to do something weird, you know, like uh, tell Jamie Lee Curtis she loves her. And then there's another part where, um, you know, something gets stuck up a person's ass and that's how they change. And that's sort of a running gag in the movie is bizarre things that make you shift characters eating in the multiverses. Yeah, eating a chapstick. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a couple of days. Again, you guys can just uh, come on in and help Putting me. Putting your shoes it, on the wrong feet. 
listen in the multiverse where you guys saw this movie you understood it probably better than i did so again <laughs> just feel free to in, inter, interject uh this is not a movie for zach not a zach movie whatsoever i like michelle yo in it and um i guess i kind of like i mean we're living in this world of pop culture where uh everything is a reference everything is is derivative you know the scene that's blatantly ripping off um Wong Kar Wai was amusing um we got some stuff where two rocks talk to each other maybe that was an ode to leox carax todd's <laughs> favorite director um this movie um on the imdb trivia page uh they talked about to keep plot details under wraps before the trailer was released the official imdb synopsis was a woman tries to do her taxes and quite honestly that's the movie that i would have rather have watched <laughs> maybe directed by the dardem brothers um, I, I didn't understand the appeal of this movie. I thought it was just kind of uh, lip service to the multiverse theories. Uh, there's no way to develop real dramatic tension or character development when every 10 seconds you're switching characters because the, you assume the audience has attention deficit disorder. Um, you know, yes, it's funny seeing the long fingers and yes, it's funny, uh, you know, with the raccoon right out of guardians of the galaxy. By the way, do you guys know who voiced that raccoon? Did you see that? No. Uh, Randy Newman. Look it up. <laughs> probably a movie that's more interesting Whoa. to talk about and think about than to actually watch. This movie is probably an hour too long. We get it after a while. It tries to kind of tug at the heartstrings with the mother-daughter relationship, but I, quite honestly, I thought Turning Red was way more effective at that. Um, I like Michelle Yeoh. She's game. I mean, she's 60 years old at this point, and she's still kicking ass. Even She's like the Eric Bannon in Munich of this movie. I mean, she is really just... I can't think of any other actress with the possible exception of Isabel Huppert who, who would do shit like that in, in this movie. And I, I applaud her, and I think these guys are really talented. Um, it's just not a movie for me, and uh, I give it two stars. Wow. All right, I'll go next. Three and a half stars. I loved this. You're right. You don't understand everything, and that's okay. Uh, there's some stuff that I I, I want to see it again just so I can kind of get get a little bit more of a grasp of it. I really feel like there's some plot holes there, but I don't really care. It was so creative and so fun. Um, the concept of multiverse, I think, is is what they pull, but the way they play with it and the way they use it is something that's a completely new take on anything that has been done before uh and the fact i mean it goes from this these incredible action sequences to having these moments of complete and utter ridiculousness and then going from there into these heartfelt moments i mean it was all over the place but you were along for the ride the entire time like i said this is another great part. I was in a mostly packed theater, and the theater was all, was all in the whole time too. They were they were laughing, yes, they were having mind. fun with it. It was it was a great watch, and it was um, accentuated by the fact that I had a full theater that was that was into it as well. Uh, I I loved it. it. It was it was a whole lot of fun, and I going into it, I'm like, how is this movie two hours and twenty minutes long? And then it flew by. I didn't think that it was it was too long at all. You might have been able to cut a little bit off of it, but, uh, but it it's it still was. I, I I thought it was great. That was great. Three and a half stars. Todd. Well, I'm in the middle, but I agree with Zach. But I'm I was more okay with it. Like I mean, this movie is all over the place. It, it was hard for me not to think of the one 
and and how the multiverse is treated mm. and how they're I like thought about that too i thought about for the one also certain pieces of the multiverse like i mean it, it kind of reminded me of that and how they know the other versions of themselves sort of uh, but I mean, it really thinks it's like a Spike Jones, Charlie Kaufman movie, but it's more of like a competently produced butterfly effect or something. But it's exhausting and baffling in a way that Cloud Atlas is like, I mean, but yes. in that way, it has balls like the fights look like birds of prey meets like shoot em up or something. It, it's, it's really yes. weird. And it's I like shoot em up too. <laughs> it's got like it's like 10,000 separate five second viral clips spliced together is what this movie is i mean and and that's that's sort of the appeal of it it won best editing in a south by southwest i thought like uh but i mean i think it loses itself in the third act like, it tries to be like prophetic and allegorical and i i think that the scenes with the rocks are interesting but like all the messages come like just beat you over the head to the point of corniness it can't really be emotional i it's it's interesting though it's like it's like they took the one and we're like okay we're gonna do that but we're going to make it so you can access your other selves and like mr miyagi yourself through daily life and it's essentially like what what like the one sentence like synopsis that they probably had was it's interesting but yeah it is just way too long michelle yo is awesome and so is like the jackie chan wannabe second character key hugh kwan he's funny he has some cool fights but i think it's already looks like jackie chan he does i mean yeah like yeah 20 years ago or something but yeah it's already like wildly overrated like they like there's like the online I've seen people say like it's the best movie in years and like I mean let's not go crazy it's a three star movie and let's move on. Like I was reading I was just reading somewhere like that only had like five visual effects artists on it. And oh like yeah, I saw that too. It. There were yeah, yeah only five visual effects artists. That's crazy, considering. I just feel well, the, the budget isn't all that big. It was like what twenty million or something like that. And there are, I don't think there actually are that many visual effects a five million dollar budget yeah. i just I, I like i mean i get it i missed the boat i think you guys are probably more closer to be to, to an accurate uh reflection of this movie an accurate critique of it i just have biases i'm tired of multiverses and i i, I thought it had an interesting enough premise to begin with i thought it was just kind of um excessive but i like i feel like bringing up all those cultural references and all those other movies is exactly what the directors wanted to do. And so in that end, I, I give them props. They accomplished what they wanted, but like, just because you're bringing up, you know, uh, uh, IP and you're bringing up, uh, cinematic derivations and, you know, homages doesn't make a movie. Right. So I, I like, I just feel like fundamentally this movie was kind of empty and it was just a bunch of blab, like blabber covering up what was fundamentally a story that they didn't really invest in that much but what I, what cool ip are they bringing up what ip did they bring up well like i i've nothing i guess nothing like explicit it's not like space jam 2 but i feel like when, when we're talking about all these movies the like okay the the scene that, that was a clearly clear an homage to in the mood for love right they want they were winking at the camera for that right they were like trying to deliberately invoke multiverse movies i mean they probably had the one in mind it just i, I don't know to me it was like too cute it, it, it never really i and even you said terry like if you could probably rip apart this movie if you think deep about it i don't know if it really set up the multiverse that interesting i will say i fell asleep during part of it though 
But like what? You, you know, you got the lady on the cell phone who's trying to look and see all the all the ways that the multiverses are connected. Let's can we talk about that a little bit more? Maybe give more of a background to it, or maybe just take it out and actually make this movie about how this woman is struggling to pay her taxes. That's a good movie. Uh, I don't know. I I thought there we go. Out. Now we're talking. Yeah, there Maybe we go. Wong Kar Wai would have would have hated this movie. Maybe not. I don't know. I don't know. I thought it was a blast, and it's it, got it, currently a nine point one on IMDb. It's got like a super high letterbox score, supposedly, and like I I don't know. I I've seen like people I I follow like already predicting it for a best picture nomination. Yeah, why like didn't I, why didn't Ace Turning release this in like November? This would have been a, a big Oscar contender, I sense. Yeah, it has a I four point six on Letterbox out of five. At least some technical awards. I think it's a little too out there to truly be an Oscar movie. Maybe I don't, an I don't original think it ever would, nominee. I mean, I could see if it was released in November, like the editing is a possibility because like there are like a million cuts in this movie, and they love that. So. Yeah, or I like like I said, I could see it getting like an Eternal Sunshine esque best That's original screenplay nominee. Yeah, but, I suppose. Yep. All right. Well, not quite thrice approved. Adam, you need to watch it so you can agree with me because I know you're going to agree with me. Yeah, yeah I'm, going, I'm going on I'm going on vacation in like next week, so I'm going to plan on that this movie and The Northman. I'm looking because my wife doesn't want to watch either of those ones, so um, it's going to be a good week. All right. Well, we got two stars from Zach. We got three stars from Todd. Three and a half from me. It is in theaters now. It's not everywhere, but it's pretty easily found. So uh, you're saying it, it's, it's not it's everywhere, worth... everything all at once? I, I know. I know. Or anything and everything all of the time. Uh, yeah, it's worth checking out just to, to simply have the conversation about it because it, it is a conversation starter for sure. It's one of those where you can't really talk to someone about the movie unless they've seen the movie. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, critique that critique, Terry. I don't really think there's much to talk about with the movie. Like, okay, it's a conversation starter because it's a multiverse movie. We haven't talked that much about it. We just sort of said what we thought about it. But like, there's, it's not a deep movie. Like, what can you say about it? It's just multiverses. It's, it's fun, yeah. But like, there's nothing deep about this movie at all. I think I think it's one of those movies that you can just sit here and talk about what exactly happens for a, quite a while. I don't know. Anyways, it's in theaters. Check it out. Uh, let's move on to what we're really here for. And uh, I believe this was this was Zach's call, right? This was Zach's pick. This was my call. This was must my have call. been hard one to make. Must have been a hard one to make. Yeah. We didn't have to talk to Deke about it. Uh, it's Deep Dive Day, and it is the 20th anniversary of the Spike Lee joint 25th hour. Everything's gotten so strange, Bob. The only people I trust are you and guys I grew up with. What do we say to him? We'll say nothing. He's going to hell for seven years. What am I going to do? Wish him luck? Champagne for my real friends. And real pain for my sham friends. Can't believe you brought my student in here. I mean, you haven't done anything wrong yet. What do you mean yet? Uh, starring Edward Norton and Barry Pepper, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Rosario Dawson, Anna Paquin, Brian Cox, and the one and only Tony Siragusa. Um, 
we this this is uh this is a favorite of all of ours and adam i think first time watch correct that is correct first time watch this was on all my right. list to do on my podcast or my daily notes episodes but zach's like uh hold off on that one you're gonna be yeah yeah, yeah and we wanted to hear your sonic 2 thoughts i mean that's the real reason you're on but i want to hear your thoughts also about 25th hour i feel like that was a slight dig but i'll, I'll allow it <laughs> okay <laughs> So we're going to start like we always do with our deep dives and start with some trivia. First, as always, if you haven't seen 25th Hour, we're like we're going to be talking all aspects of the movie start to end, spoilers, all that stuff. So if you haven't seen it, he goes go to watch jail. it. Yeah. Or, or does he? Or does Ooh. he? Ooh. Go go watch it. It is a really great movie and then come back and listen to our deep dive of it. We're going to start with trivia. I'm hosting trivia. And uh, Todd and Zach are going to battle this out. Let's see here. Who are we starting with? Or yeah, let's let's start with Zach. Because I feel start like... with... no, you go, you go with Todd. Zach knows it better. Okay, so we're gonna start with Todd. So Zach's gonna disappear. Wow. There we go. All right. So let's see how this goes. You ready, Todd? Yeah. This is. Oh, I gotta write this down. Adam, I got it. I got it. For me? I got it. There yeah. we go. <laughs> Have an assistant to keep score for me. Okay. Uh, see how much there I get are, I don't know how how uh, easy or hard this is going to be, but we'll see. Uh, I've got ten questions. It's worth eleven uh, or eleven points. So they're just very basic questions as we go. Okay, through. so you're not going to ask like all the all the things in the rant. <laughs> I was expecting no. like I was expecting like there's five questions worth uh, like thirty eight points. <laughs> no, no, I could have gone there, but I didn't. All right. First question is the one that's worth two points. Okay. Um, what is the dog's name? And how did he get his name? Uh, his name's Doyle because uh, uh, Katya thought that it was Doyle's law, not Murphy's law. That is correct. Two points for uh, for Todd there. Uh, number two, uh, where did Anna Paquin get the money for her tattoo? Uh, her boyfriend likes her. Uh, yes, that, that that that's what I have written down. He likes me. Uh, yep, that's a point. Uh, next question: Striped shirt and striped tie look like a what? Oh, oh an optical illusion. Yep, <laughs> that is correct. Uh, what movie poster is on the wall in Monty's living room? Oh, cool Hand Luke. That is correct. Uh, which ethnic group lives in Brighton Beach? Uh, the Russians. The Russians is correct. Uh, what baseball players mentioned in the monologue with the baseball bat? Jose Canseco. That is incorrect. It's Jason Giambi. Jason Giambi. Oh, I mean, I knew that. I, I... The other okay. A. Yep. Uh, what is Monty's mom's favorite movie? I honestly don't recall. Uh, Brooklyn. Uh, no. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, here, here's your hint, and. Uh, it has to do with her favorite actor. Oh, a place in the sun. Okay, so he gets half a point because he got it with the with the hint. Okay, uh, next question: What is Jacob's percentile? <laughs> Jacob's percentile is like it's like sixty, like sixty-eight or something. I'll, I'll I'll give you half. It was sixty second. Sixty. Ah, I had thought I had sixty sixth. Damn it. 
Um, what has Frank spent his whole life trying to get away from? I I don't know. I don't remember that line. Green beer. <laughs> Green yep. beer. Yep. Okay. Okay. Because he's gonna. Start the. He's like, we'll start the bar. We'll do green beer on St. Patty's Day. Yeah. Uh, last question. Uh, Monty has never been west of where? Philadelphia. That is correct. I thought you were going to ask what what his number was in high school and who to who stole the assist record from him. Like, oh, I mean, these are total Terry questions. How the hell are, you're not answering I these? Have, I should have asked that. <laughs> asked those. Here's why I didn't ask it because I always end up with way too many questions from the beginning of the movie. And so I was like, "Oh man, I've got, I've already got too many. I can't ask anymore." But uh, yeah, those those would have been good questions. Zach's gonna ace this. I don't you think, think so? he's gonna miss any of them. I see. I didn't know how hard it was. I didn't know. I didn't know if it was too hard, too easy. I don't know. All right, Zach's back. You back? Uh, all right, I'm back. All right, he's back. All right. Uh, so uh, there are ten questions worth eleven points. Todd already told me a question I should have asked that would have been better than any of the ones I actually had. You should ask um, that. I, I should ask. I don't know the answer to it, though, but I'll see if you do. Um, and Adam, how many points did Todd get? A total of eight. You got eight of the 11. Not bad. Okay. So here we go. Uh, first question is the is one it, that's worth... Todd's in the 62nd percentile. So There, there we go. There we go. <laughs> I'll have it ready. You got eight. Yep. eight right. It's about 60 seconds. Percent top. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> All right. You want to know something hilarious? He he he, he just said that. The, that was the answer to question number eight. So there we so. go. And yeah, that's really funny. All right. Anyways, um, worth two points. Number The first question, what is the dog's name and how did he get named? Uh, Doyle and Costia inadvertently named him because he thought Murphy's Law was called Doyle's Law. To which Monty go, responded, "Who's Doyle?" Yep, Who's that's Doyle? two points. Next question: uh, Where did Anna Paquin get the money for her tattoo? Uh, from her boyfriend, and how? Or from and, a guy. And and why and why did she get it? Why how, why did she get the money does, from him? D- does he love her, or what did she say? What 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 did she say? She said he because he loves me. He likes me, but yes, he likes me. Yeah, that same same idea. Um, striped shirt and striped tie look like a what? Uh, a effing optical illusion. Correct. Okay, can we? Are we going to swear on this podcast? I I will edit it. I don't mind because there's way too many f words in this movie. <laughs> you, already, you are already, not, You are the editor of this episode, yeah. so. I already had curse when we choked toasted our You beers. look like a fucking optical illusion. Great line. <laughs> yeah, it's for the ladies, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, did the ladies ever tell you? <laughs> a lot of theories right. about that character, by the way. Okay, keep going. Next question. What movie poster is on the wall in Monty's living room? I also have theories about this, too. Cool Hand Luke. That's I want correct. to discuss that. We'll table that. Uh, which ethnic group lives in Brighton Beach? Ooh. The Russians? That is correct. All right. I knew you were going to ace this thing. Uh, what <laughs> baseball gonna, player is mentioned one. in the monologue with the baseball bat? Uh, Derek Jeter. No. Wow, I, I missed that too. I, I, I'm such an that, idiot for missing that. I thought well, that was an easy one. And Jeter's not, is Jeter Italian? Giambi makes more sense. Dang it. I, mm, too much, too cocky, too cocky. I should have thought about it for a second. I think Jeter makes more sense than Todd's answer of Jose Canseco. <laughs> 
Oh wow! I don't know, wow. It, I don't know if it makes that, that much less sense. <laughs> That's I like mean, I mean, who else is going to hit that normal slider? But why would Jeter be like these guys who are looking like they want to be a slugger? Like, I mean, all of them. They said a, they they said they were like auditioning for the Sopranos. Answer. Like, there, there's oh, no re, there's okay, okay. Jeter's never well, going to be in the Sopranos. Canseco would be. Syracuse is not Russian or Ukrainian. Apparently, the same thing according to Edward Norton. Yeah, <laughs> at least he didn't say Hideki Matsui because he's already been picked. <laughs> how many different references can we have about yankee players in, in this podcast from different movies you should have shot a rod not gina <laughs> what's monty's mom's favorite movie uh uh uh, uh plays in the sun that's correct todd needed a hint for that to get it um next question yeah. you've already answered what is jacob's percentile 62nd percentile which I've always thought was kind of generous. It's actually kind of a low-key, not bad percentile, considering it's Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah, it's 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 kind of a backhanded compliment for sure. Uh, next question: What what has Frank spent his whole life trying to get away from? Is this when he's talking to Monty about? Uh, yes. Yeah, at the yes. club. I don't know, trying to get away from owning a bar, something like that. You're being, on the right track. Being Irish, being an Irish kid owning a bar. Half a point. Green beer. Okay. Green beer. How is that a half a point? Because yeah. it's all about owning the Irish bar. And he was like, know, but... own the okay. Irish bar. We'll, 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 we'll have green beer on St. Patty's Day. And Monty says... You spent your uh, entire life of getting away from green beer. See, he doesn't even know the line you're talking about. That's not a half a point. I know no, the he, line you're he talking knew, about he now. Knew exactly, he knew exactly. I'm giving him a half a point. doesn't matter. You're, he's, he's winning anyways. Um, and uh, my last question, I'll ask you the one that Todd had. Uh, Monty has never been west of where? Mm, I should know this. Um, man. See, we're going to tie, Terry. Is it? Is it uh, I want to say Mississippi, but I don't know if it is for sure. I'll just go with it. Mississippi? I don't think Philly. it is, though. Philly. See, we tied if, if you don't give him that stupid half point that he didn't deserve. <laughs> well, Although I didn't deserve a half point for my number either. So. Yeah, you yeah. Lost for Jose I've got a half a it. point for saying 68th percentile. Oh. Well, well yeah, if you're going to give him a half point for that, I think Green Beer. Conseco and Giambi are more comfortable than Jeter and like anybody that you could have ever said. Okay, so Todd, Todd's a question that he said I should have asked was what was Monty's number in high school and who, who stole his assist record? No, Marvin Ray stole the assist record. I don't know his number. Was it 11? That would be my guess. 15. 15, okay. I should, I should win because I knew it was Marvin Ray, and he stole it last year. I, I do remember that. I do remember that. I, I told him I didn't ask that question because I already had too many questions from the beginning of the movie, and I always ask way too many questions from like the first 15 minutes. Well, I mean, that's when you get all the establishing conversation and stuff. Like, exactly. that's where you can have a lot of questions. Exactly. I tried to spread them out, though. I thought I did a pretty good job. Okay. So, we usually start with um, with the person who picked this and have them describe and them go through and all that. But we have a first-time watcher here. Oh, and so, I want to start with Adam because, Adam, we need to know what you thought of this because you've never seen 25th Hour before. So so tell us tell us what you thought of 25th hour. Well, 25th hour is a historic movie 
not only was it a film that came out 20 years ago, it also just so happened to be my 3400 watch. So, mm, so hey, it was a milestone nice. there. Uh, and it's directed by Spike Lee, which it's kind of weird. Spike Lee is kind of known for making uh, specific movies, but sometimes he makes movies that don't feel like a Spike Lee movie, in my opinion. I, I would never have guessed this would be his movie unless I would have saw it on the credits or anything like that. Uh, but this film uh, follows uh, Edward Norton's Monty character as he is having to deal with his basically his last day of freedom in a post 9/11 uh, New York, and he goes out and hangs out with his friends and also gears up his girlfriend for when he's not going to be there. Uh, for me, that watching this movie it was it was a very uh, interesting film to watch because I like enjoyed the camaraderie between all the characters and the things they go through i was kind of expecting a different movie where he was going to somehow uh, go up and try to get the charges re reversed or whatever I had different expectations going in but uh, the way the movie was put together kind of subverted my expectations and made it more of a contemplative film about what to do with now that he's going to have to face all these different uh this jail sentence and i thought the uh the performances by edward norton were uh his performance was really good and i just enjoyed kind of enjoyed the all the performances here and it actually made it really hard when we actually do a recasting to see different people play into this film i i think currently i i gave it a four stars uh as well i thought it was re really uh, amazing i think it's like my number i put it you know number three in my top 10 of 2002 so it's right behind spirited away and catch me if you can uh, kind of sandwiched in between there uh, but this is one that I, I think I definitely want to rewatch again to kind of get more information, kind of, and not just have it like the first time watch lens. I think I, I would appreciate it a lot more with a, a second watch. But I think this is a, a really a fascinating movie, and I'm looking forward to discussing it. Nice, nice. Yeah, Zach, can you guys, go for it. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can yes. hear you. Okay, perfect. Uh, just making sure. Yeah, I, I'm amused by that. That is that is not the. Uh, I'm glad you gave it four stars. That's of course the right answer. But I was not expecting you to say that you you thought that it was going to be like him fighting the the charges. Like, what was it going to be like? Hillary Swank as his lawyer? Like, was he going to appeal? <laughs> no, no. I mean, like, like trying to get. No, that would have been I... an interesting movie. That's the multiverse version of Twenty Fifth <laughs> Hour, and I would have, I would have been, I would have fucked with that. Like you get Isaiah. Well, I never Whitlock watched the, the trailer for this either, so I had no idea. I just was we found that all was... that shit. Got him like a, you know on the on the stand, and you got the judge, <laughs> you know, like Frank Langella or something. I like. <laughs> well, it. Was, who's gonna give him a good like, courtroom like, drama? But a good like a uh, uh, who's gonna stand up for him on the stand though? That's that's the thing. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, that's a good question. I, I wanted to see the courtroom scene just so, like Isaiah Whitlock Jr. had to be like called up to the stand. It's like, can you repeat verbatim what you said in the apartment when you found the drugs? <laughs> uh, court reporter, could you please repeat that back to me, so, just for the record? How do you spell that? <laughs> How do you spell that? <laughs> Are there E's in there, or is it all eyes? <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, Zach, you are the one that picked this movie, and I will say, I know you have you have kind of notoriously amongst our group here said that you think 2002 is one of the greatest years in film history, uh, if not the greatest year, and this is a part of the reason why. So, so tell us what's so great about 25th Hour. 
Yeah, so 25th Hour, uh, amazing movie. Um, no love from the Academy, even though this was a movie that came out prime Oscar season, December 2002. It was rushed out. Uh, and it's, you know, you read about the making of this movie. It was based on a book that was written pre-9-11. The book's right here. I really like the book, by the way. I actually reread it just last month just for this podcast because uh, I wow. love this movie so much. Um, and uh, Spike... Like the book, he kind of made it in a post 9-11 milieu and added a few things about, you know, bin Laden and, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the scene where they're at uh, uh, Frank's apartment. Um, I did not see this movie in theaters, interestingly enough. I saw it at the basement of Weber Hall at Concordia University, RIP, my freshman year. It would have been spring semester, like maybe early March or something. Wow. One of the first movies I ever watched on a laptop, which I guess that has kind of aged well. Like, I thought it was kind of a weird... Remember when watching movies on a laptop was weird? And now I kind of, in some ways, prefer to do it because I can hear things and see things better. But, um, yeah, I mean, this movie kind of blew me away when I first saw it. I, there was a reason I didn't see it in the theaters because as much as I like Spike Lee, I just kind of thought it sort of looked bland. It got decent reviews, but not great reviews, and it got no love from the Academy. And uh, pretty much right away, I knew it was, it was a great movie, if not Spike's best movie, which, which we'll talk about in a little bit. And it's key that I saw this movie my freshman year of college because Terry knew me my freshman year of college, at least a little bit. And little after bit. I saw this movie, I actually started, it's never happened in another movie. I actually started to dress and act, <laughs> yeah, try yeah. to act like Edward Norton <laughs> in this movie. I got a leather jacket. I grew I a goatee. I grew, yes, because you were there, Adam. And I grew my hair really <laughs> long. And, uh, uh, yeah, I just thought that Monty Brogan was like the coolest guy ever, even though he's in the zero percentile because he's going to jail. So I, in retrospect, I don't know what I what I worshipped about him. Maybe it was like the kid worshipping Edward Norton in uh, in uh, American History X. I, I don't know. He's a bad influence. I think it gets to kind of a, a point about the movie, which is that Edward Norton, to use a, a, a way that Wesley Morris has described him as an actor, is very seductive. You know, you watch him and uh, you just uh, you will you know uh, and Todd agrees with me like you'll I'll watch anything with Edward Norton because you, you just kind of stare in, at awe at the guy I mean he's great he's obviously great looking got a great screen persona he can be tough but he can also be kind of nerdy and nebbish he can be tortured but also good um I mean we you know we we do the cager on this podcast but we should do the Norton or and uh, we, we, we love Edward Norton. I think this is his best performance. I mean, and, and that's that's a debatable point. You could say, you know, and, and a lot of his movies in, in this era, uh, he was great in. Um, and of course, we've got Philip Seymour Hoffman, Brian Cox, Anna, Anna Paquin, uh, Rosario Dawson, just, just a, a killer cast. And uh, I do remember, it's also key that I saw this movie a little bit before Last Temptation of Christ and all these other movies that did the whole, like, is this really the ending or is this this guy's fantasy? Because when I saw that, I mean, that must have been one of the first movies I ever saw that did that, which in itself is based on, you know, Occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge, the Ambrose Beer story. And uh, I just thought that ending was killer. I thought Spike just absolutely nailed it. And uh, I don't, I don't, I didn't cry at the movie, but like I was deeply emotionally moved by that ending. And I still listen to music all the time. And I, I freaking love the movie. And uh, when we did our top 100s last summer, um, I don't remember doing our top 100s, but I think <laughs> I want to say I rated it in the 30s somewhere. And it was interesting rewatching it again. I don't think I would rate it that high, but it's still a movie that I, I deeply love. And, and it's, it's, it's you know, arguably Spike's best movie. And, and Apex Spike, Apex uh, Edward Norton. You've got it at 30. It is there number 30 on your top 100. And, it's and definitely I told... above the 62nd percentile. 
And I, I totally get what you mean about the, uh, I, when, when you changed your look, I, I think what happened was you looked at, at Edward Norton in this movie and said, I think I could pull that off. Exactly. That's exactly it was actually a look now. that you're like, I could, I could do that. Exactly. And, <laughs> and I, I never, I never sold drugs because I, you know, I mean, that wasn't really me, but like, I wanted the cool hand Luke poster. You, you, you have no idea. You can ask my wife about this. Okay. <laughs> I said very early on in our relationship, we're getting a cool hand Luke poster, like, like, uh, Monty's poster. And, uh, she said, no. So I've never gotten it because <laughs> way to put up a fight. Huh? But, uh, <laughs> well, exactly. I, you know, um, so, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I love it. I, I'm, I, I gotta say, all right, I'm going to relate to you. I I've done that before too, where I've looked at someone in a movie and been like, I could pull off that look. Ethan and, Hawk. And, no, no, <laughs> actually. So it, it, it was more, more or less just the hair. Uh, um, Brendan Fraser and the Mummy. Oh, yeah, when I was in high school, I could Brendan see that, Fraser yeah. and the Mummy. This should have been our Mount Rushmore. You know who we're trying to pull <laughs> off? Andy Dalton. Andy Dalton. Here we go. Well, I'm going to have really that have Bo Bridges like poof in Rocket Man right now, Terry. I know, I know. It just kind of, <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. You're right. It's more Bo Bridges right now than Brendan Fraser for sure. Uh. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I'll talk about 25th Hour a little bit, too. So I was just looking here. The only real, like, serious awards love it got was um, the Golden Globes nominated the score. Um, <laughs> I don't know what score. it is. Especially the the, the, the montage. Uh, like the, the score there is just, like, amazing. Yeah. Um, let's see here. Um, Boston Film Critics gave it a Best Screenplay nomination. One of the things that's unique about 2002 is as great of a year as it was for movies, it was a horrible Oscars. It's like every single thing they got wrong. And I realize I know Todd's a bigger fan of Gangs of New York and you know, we had disagreements about that. But I think overall, and Chicago isn't even that bad of a movie, but in a year where there were so many good movies, uh, those five Best Picture nominees are head scratchers. And this movie should have been right at the top of the list. I mean, it had all the talent. This should have been Spike's Oscar movie. I mean, all due, res all, all due respect, all love to Black Klansman. But this was probably the closest, the most mainstream Spike was ever going to get to to really having some Oscar consideration. Yeah. Terry, yeah, you I said this is a screenplay nomination. You want to mention who the screenwriter is here and, and what he's actually known for and how it makes no sense with this movie? So it's David Benioff. He is the creator of Game of Thrones. Oh gosh, I didn't even realize that. You didn't know that? I, 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 I also married I knew to I, Amanda Peet. Yeah, I think we've heard that on the podcast before. <laughs> I, well, now now that I I was like I Very know important. that name and now I remember where I know it. Yeah, creator of Game of Thrones, sure. LVP wow. for the last season. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, sure. I didn't think it was that bad. Uh, yeah, no, but um, excited for the new. For the new show though um yeah 25th hour i loved it when i watched it and i don't even know it must have been not long after you watched it like i want to say it was like that next year because so our first year in college zach and i like we knew of each other but we weren't really friends and it was like what a week or two by uh before the end of the end of the school year we were just we just happened to be hanging out and talking and he asked me what my favorite movie was, and I said Apollo 13. And then I think he decided we were going to be best friends from then on out. 
We just yeah, we just become best friends. Yeah, I, I mean, I I I thought that you know, I thought the guy who looks like Bo Bridges, I gotta be his friend, you know. <laughs> Find out what his favorite movie is. Uh, but yeah, so uh, so I I it must have been like that next year I saw it. I don't know exactly when it was, but I loved. I don't it. think we saw it together though. No, I, I did, no. yeah. Uh, Todd and I might have seen it together. That Maybe. sounds like a possibility. Um, but yeah, I watched it a couple days ago for this, and that was the first time I'd watched it since that first time, which was oh, like oh, maybe 15 years ago or whatever it and it was. So uh, I, I didn't remember a whole lot about it. And um, Well, you're saying your freshman year of college? My, yeah. my first year at Concordia, Zach's freshman year. That had to be, that was... 05? Oh five, oh six, spring, spring oh six. Yeah, you saw okay. it spring oh six. It checks out. Trust me, it does. Anyways, I thought, more, I thought I saw it was longer than that. He's good, Eddie. <laughs> the math, the math adds up. We're, we're good on those numbers. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I love that. I get what Adam was saying in that it's not what you expect because you hear. Spike Lee movie about a man getting ready to go to prison and you don't necessarily expect this this kind of quiet character study where not much really happens and uh and yet it is fascinating and enthralling and completely engaging and it has you on the edge of your seat even though nothing happens and I love that about this movie um Spike has some tendencies that he has in his movies that can kind of drive me nuts and whatever the ones that come out here actually work which i think is is good um but yeah it's uh it's it's a brilliant movie and i'm watching it again this week completely reinforced all those thoughts todd how about you yeah i've always loved this movie i I mean, it's a bad beat that it didn't make on my top 100. It really should have. I haven't ranked it my number five ensemble cast of all time. Because, I mean, I think that the cast is so perfect. It's like the the best cast chemistry that I've ever seen in any movie. Like, I mean, I, I, I feel like the actors work together so well because it feels like you're watching a play. On the first scene is the only scene that, do, that, isn't, that doesn't feel like it, it could have been on stage and you're just like watching actors riff with each other. Cause like the, a lot of, a lot of it is just like dialogue. And I, I love that. I love all the characters and I, it, it, it is, it is Spike Lee's best movie for sure. And I, I, I can't remember the first time I watched it. It probably, it may, maybe it was with you, Terry. I, I'm not really sure, but I've seen it three or four times now. And I, yeah, it really should have been on my top 100. Well, it's one yeah. of those movies that benefited a bit because I think we assumed there were going to be a lot of great 9-11 movies, or movies set in post 9-11. But instead we got like, remember me, you know, and, 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 just terror just that was way after loud like, this was this was so extremely close loud incredibly close, after yeah. it though like this well, is that, why but, there, but there wasn't anything and so i think as a result this movie benefited because there were critics like ebert that liked it but didn't love it initially but then he put it on his top 10 of the decade list so did tony and it's like uh you know i, I think it was you know the movie obviously has merits but it's also filling a gap that I think filmmakers kind of did not take advantage of when they should have taken advantage of it. 
Well, I, this is what, the definitive post 9-11 movie as far as I'm concerned. And what makes it a great post 9-11 movie is it's not about 9-11. 9-11, right. it's like just the city plays so much of a character in the movie that the fact that it is within like a year of it happening, it just it just has to, it, it's a reality of living in New York at that time and it shows that. And I, I think that's what makes it such a great post 9-11 movie. Todd, I, you 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 mentioned a couple of things that really that uh, I have to mention first. You you said uh, it's it's one of your top five ensembles of all time. So I I'm obviously curious. What are your top five ensembles of all time? Okay, it is my and, number five. So okay. <laughs> my number four is uh, who who who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? Number three okay, is yeah. Sideways. Number two is The Godfather, and number one is Glengarry Glenn Ross. So That's it's in very esteemed company. It's hard to argue with those. And the second thing is, how did Barry Pepper not become a thing? I, I've been wondering this for like the last 20 years. It's a great question. Because he's I amazing mean, in this. This is right amazing. after he did 61, which is arguably his best performance. And he had he had the, the most scene-stealing part in Saving Private Ryan. Exactly. Yeah, I, mean, I, don't, I don't understand it either. He, he did play Vince in Maze Runner The Death Cure. Don't look past that. <laughs> I mean, yeah. What... Whatever happened to this guy? I mean, he I remember he was, him in True Grit. He was in True Grit. Yeah, he played Lucky Ned Pepper. I wonder of no relation, I would assume. Oh, and the, yeah, he was in the Green Mile too. He had a pretty good, uh, pretty big part in Green Mile. But yeah, ever since. And what was the last thing that you could say was a? I had no idea he was Canadian. He was in the Painted Bird, that movie about the kid that gets tortured during World War II, the black and white art house pretentious shit. Did you ever see that movie, Todd? No. Where the kid like gets beat up for three hours. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? Like I don't. Oh, really? Okay, never mind. <laughs> so, so he he was in this. Then I forgot he was in a TV movie about Dale Earnhardt playing Dale Earnhardt, which is kind oh. of perfect casting. Well, that's the thing is that, uh, and I, I also watched this movie with Spike's commentary because I've just had too much time on my hands. Barry Pepper was a great athlete. And uh, according to Spike, um, Barry Pepper was also the MVP of the 25th hour softball team. Like his skills as Roger Maris were not just, that was not just acting. He, he was, is a great athlete. So then he was in Three Burials and Macchiatus Estrada. Oh, that's right. He was he was good in that. But that's again, that's like that era though. That's not mm -hmm. recent. He was and really then, good in that movie though. He was and really then Flags of Our Fathers. He was in it also, and he was in Seven Pounds. But like the last 10, 12 years, it's a bunch of garbage. Why he should have been in like Dragged Across Concrete? That would have made, been a great Barry Pepper comeback movie. I forgot this that Nicolas Cage movie, Running with the Devil. I forgot that he was in that. Yeah, that's my question. Is how how is he not a, a thing? Mm -hmm. Um, let's see here. What was I gonna go to next? Uh, well, we've been talking about that. This is a, a Spike Lee joint, so let's get into our Mount Rushmore, uh, which is Spike Lee movies. So the Mount Rushmore of Spike Lee movies. Um, I think we we talked about Back. the twenty fifth hour is gonna be our consensus, Whoa. and. This is going to be kind of a weird one because there are four of us 
So normally, I mean, there's only four heads on Mount Rushmore, but we always talk about the the William Howard Taft of it. And I think that's going to be our consensus this time. And I think we decided our consensus is 25th hour, correct? Yeah. Yes. Since so that's we're... what we're talking about. Okay. So our consensus is 25th hour. And uh, now we're each going to pick our submission onto Mount Rushmore. <laughs> and let's see here. Let's start with, let's start with Todd. Okay, well, I'm going to choose one. I think I'm the biggest fan of this movie on the podcast, and that's Black Klansman, which he won his Oscar for, and uh, starring John David Washington, who was not at the Oscars, according to uh, Denzel. <laughs> uh, but uh, I thought that movie was was really ingeniously told, and, and that didn't necessarily feel like a Spike Lee joint, but, but uh, the aesthetics of it absolutely did, and it, I, I think it's a really great movie, and I mean, I think it was it was in my top twenty ish of that year. I, I and I, I like it a lot. I mean, obviously he's got better movies, but I'll I'll let you guys talk about those. It totally felt like a Spike Lee joint. Yeah, man, that was a, that's a, I think that was a top ten ish movie for me. Yeah, that was gonna be actually my pick. It really felt more like a Kevin Wilmot movie than a Spike Lee movie. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Ding. Uh, it was the movie that won won him his Oscar from Samuel L. Jackson. It's true. It's true. Is are we just living in an era now where I heard this on podcasts lately, like where great auteur filmmakers are only going to win screenplay awards? Like that's Ooh. the biggest honor you can ever get if you're going to be a Spike Lee. What? So the writer directors are never going to win a director? Yeah, like Oscar? like Jor- like Jordan Peele, you know, and Tarantino, uh, Tarantino Bombach. Yeah, like P- PTA is never winning a director Oscar. Well, yeah, he he. I mean, he should have won for Licorice Pizza this year, and that would have. <laughs> Did it too? I don't know. It's an interesting. But who question. was the last one that won a director and Oscar? Like the the Coens. Yeah. Probably. I mean, there's a, there's exceptions. I just like oh, or like a Sofia Coppola. You know, I don't know. Like these directors are a little too indie to be serious Oscar directors. I, I don't know. It just feels. I, like... I had never thought about that. It's a good call though. But... All right. So, oh, go ahead. I was just to say that that was a great Oscar moment, and I think it fulfilled everything we would have hoped for a Spike Lee acceptance speech. Absolutely, being picked up by Sam. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, let's Green go. And he, and he presented Bong Joon Ho with his Oscar. Bong Joon Ho. He didn't even say the winner is. All right. Let's. Uh, so we got Black Klansman, and we're going to go to Adam next. Adam, what's your pick? Black Klansman was probably going to be mine as well. But do I go with Pat Williams' comedy special? Do I go with that one? (laughs) Priceless Afterlife? I don't know. I I was going to say, he's directed a video game, according to IMDb. He directed NBA 2K16. So I guess one video game is allowed on this list. And do I go with the greatest spoilered movie of all time, Old Boy, for me? Uh, I don't know. Uh, No, I'm going to go with Inside Man. Uh, with Denzel, it's gonna be Terry's pick. It, yeah, it most was. Yeah. <laughs> this sucks. Now we're not gonna get like any of the ones I wanted to have on this list. <laughs> Keep going. All right. Well, <laughs> Inside Mind for me is the one that I have rewatched. I've seen the most of any of his other films. I really like that Denzel Washington. Uh, I like those kind of like uh, crime heist films too. So that. It, 
perfect for me there. Uh, the only downside about this movie, it made it. They made a sequel several years later, which is it's still in it, but not yeah. Most called in Inside Man, Most Wanted. Same kind, of, yeah. Uh, it's a, it's a decent unofficial it's, sequel, I'm sure. Yeah, Unof- Spike had nothing to do with that. <laughs> had nothing to do with it. it Inside Man, anymore. Port of Call, New Orleans. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, Inside Man would be mine uh, if it wasn't Black Klansman. So. Yeah, I, what I love about Inside Man, it, again, it's kind of like 25th Hour in that it feels nothing like a Spike Lee joint. It, it's 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 just kind of a, a more standard premise, a standard uh, film, and it's it, it's it's so much fun. I I still hold that. Clive Owen's like opening monologue is one of the coolest opening monologues like in in the last 20 25 years. Um great pick, great pick. Inside Man right. Most Wanted stars Rhea Seahorn who is the yeah. main character in Better Call Saul. I had no idea. <laughs> I've never wow. heard that this actually It's it's pretty cool. going to have to watch it. Underwater heist. Yeah. Underwater. Underwater? Well, yeah, they flood the oh, well, they flood the bank, but yeah. Interesting. It's it's kind of interesting. It actually is pretty. It but it it's just like one of those movies that you wouldn't ever expect to have a sequel. How is Barry Pepper not in that? <laughs> yeah, true. That's going to become like the the new uh, Greg the Kinnear. new saying of our of our podcast. Why isn't Barry Pepper in this movie? Mm-hmm. Um. Okay. Going to be like an Adam bonus joke. I was going to go next, but I don't know what I want to pick. Um. I could tell I, you what to pick. I I know. Well, no. I I've got I've got like two or three in between. Um, you shouldn't have picked me first. This is a bad. Yeah, idea. this, yeah, this, this order is messed up, up because everybody's taking their each other's pick. Pretty much. Pretty much. All right. I'll. Uh, you can always re-edit it. That's there, true. There we go. There's. I It'll mean, there's one sense. that has to be picked, and I don't know if Zach's going to... Well, both these have to be picked. I'm going to go... I'll go with the one... I think I like this one more. I've seen it more recently. I'm going Malcolm X. Hmm. Um, I think I, I think <laughs> I Malcolm like X that. is a... It's a brilliant <laughs> biopic. I think uh, it, it shows um, what Spike likes to do and the messages he likes to portray... This one does it possibly the best out of out of all the movies, at least that I've seen. Um, Denzel gives one of the most brilliant performances in any biopic um, as as Malcolm X in this. It it's a movie. It's a three hour movie that flies by because of how good he is and how well the whole thing is paced and how well the story is told. Um, I loved Malcolm X. I just saw it like earlier this year. It was one of my anniversary watches for this year, and it was it blew me away. So that's the one I'm going with. Do the right yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah, I, I I mean I love Malcolm X too. It, it's uh, obviously yeah. I mean, I, and then I, I have to go do the right thing. Um, right, that was the other one I, I was picking between. I don't know why it took so long to pick it. I'll have to edit that out. Obviously, these are two movies that have to be mentioned. I actually rewatched Do the Right Thing over Spring Break. Um, and I will say I don't necessarily love it as much as everybody else seems to. Um, you know, obviously, the movie has a lot of uh, resonance uh, in the last couple of years. Um, 
And it's not the best movie of the 80s, like Rolling Stone said, um, even though they didn't even include Platoon on their list. Uh, but um, it is a great movie. And I kind of see it as if we're going to compare Spike Lee and Tarantino, I feel like, I feel like uh, Do the Right Thing is like Reservoir Dogs and Malcolm X is like Pulp Fiction. I think Do the Right Thing it was so stylistically in inventive. It introduced the world to Spike Lee. And I do think he's kind of superseded it. Um, and actually, if I'm just being totally selfish, the movie that I like the most, other than 25th Hour, is Jungle Fever. I think Jungle Fever is a really good movie, and I, I actually love watching it. But you can't have a Mount Rushmore without Do the Right Thing. And I do think the movie has aged extremely well and has some great performances. And again, I think his style, we get his style. So watching it in 2022, it's probably like, oh, this feels just like every Spike Lee movie. But you got to think in 1989, that was so radical to have mm -hmm. Rosie Perez in a boxing uniform with Public Enemy blaring on the soundtrack and Radio Raheem with the love and hate stuff and um, it's Mr. Senior Love Daddy at the radio. I, it, it's it's awesome. That's great characters, some great moments. Giancarlo Esposito is in it. I forgot about that. Gus Fring. Um, it's it's a great movie and obviously much better than uh, Driving Miss Daisy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, th like that was what I was between. It was Do the Right Thing and Malcolm X. They both needed to be mentioned. Um, yeah, do the right thing. I, I have not seen Jungle Fever. I'm not the. I don't know. I'm not the biggest Malcolm X fan. I think it's pretty standard. But I, I mean, I, I'm just. It just hurts that we're not mentioning He Got Game. I think that's his third best movie. I haven't and, seen He Got Game. And Clockers is another one. Yeah, I know you I, love. I, you I'm, love I'm Clockers. A huge fan I haven't Clockers. seen Clockers. You shouldn't have had me go first because I picked. The, <laughs> I picked the, the one I would. I would not have picked otherwise. Like okay. both of those are better than Black Clansman. Yeah, what about Spike's worst movie? This is a fun list. Because Spike swings for the fences, and he's made, made some truly awful movies. Now, I think Todd and I, we're in agreement about this, right, Todd? Because didn't you assign me this movie, The Sweet Blood oh, of yeah. Jesus? Oh, yeah. We, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, that's one of the worst movies of all time, of course. Uh, I have I not seen that movie. Miracle of St. Anna. That's Miracle what I would call Anna. it. Miracle of St. Anna. Girl 6 is borderline Girl 6 is pretty bad. That is that. I think Miracle at St. Anna is still a movie that somewhere in my brain I, I have convinced myself it's good because I wanted it to be good so badly. And I even while watching it, I'm like, this is so close to being good, but it is so bad. I, it, it, it still pains me how how much he screwed that movie up. And of course, we're, we're, we're forget we're not going to forget old boy, right? I mean, yeah. has Watching anybody ever the, uh, old boy thinking it's the original old boy, then realizing it's not the original old boy kills the original old boy. So yeah. that would probably be up there for me, too. <laughs> has anybody ever had the highs of Spike Lee and the lows of Spike Lee in the same career? George Lucas. <laughs> Maybe Coppola. Yeah. Coppola might be cl close. Both those are good. I mean, I, I say the Coens have, have that, too. But oh, I, mean, I don't have think way more movies as bad as the sweet blood of Jesus. Well, Steven Spielberg could be no, a... I don't think he's ever hit those lows. Maybe Hook, but uh, night. Uh, well, what's his what's Post. Spielberg's worst? <laughs> Post, yeah, 1942. I don't know, it's a bad comedy. 1941. Well, that whatever that movie is, whatever. 1942 right. was the unofficial Barry Pepper sequel that they never made. There we yeah, go. Yeah. Was hired, hired for it, but never, never came through. Wait, see, like prequel to 61 or what? 
<laughs> yeah, it was a prequel to 61. It was about Roger Neris and the army um, playing, uh, you know. Yeah, it was like the catcher was Japanese. Uh, Paul Rudd. Yeah, that's what it was, yeah. Well, uh, the the other one I had written down that I I, I could have said was the Five Bloods, which I like yeah. more than Black Landsman. Um, not a good pick. Well, there you go. There you go. Storm and Norman I, would disagree. I think I think we, yeah, uh, I think we've got a pretty decent Mount Rushmore here, though. I mean, we've got what the the ones you need, and uh, and then uh, a few really. Really good ones to throw in there too. So we've got Twenty Fifth Hour, Black Klansman, Inside Man, Malcolm X, and Do the Right Thing. Here's the thing, though. Like Tarantino, you could say there's '90s Spike Lee and more recent Spike Lee, and Twenty Fifth mm-hmm. Hour was the bridge between oh. those. And yeah. uh, because after Twenty Fifth Hour was a lot of crap, and I, with all due respect to Inside Man, which isn't a bad movie, I actually kind of like She Hate Me, but. It feels like the career went in a different direction after that, with the exception of you know Black Klansman. But um, I just I miss old Spike Lee. I, I guess I, I I prefer that, like I prefer '90s Tarantino. Yeah, I kind of like Chirac. Like th- that kind of thing is is interesting. That's that's him like uh, screwing with like a musical kind of thing. I mean, that just shows how how much of a film nut he is. And th- those kind of things are interesting to me. Which is why he did like American Utopia and stuff like that. But in so general, yeah, I do agree. I've never seen Chirac. And what, what I thought is kind of interesting is no one even has talked about his documentaries, like Four Little Girls or When the Levees Broke, because he's an amazing documentarian as well. He's like Ricky Henderson. He could have had a, a great career as a documentarian and as a, fe- a feature filmmaker. See, my problem is there's just so much Spike Lee I haven't seen. And so... Well, you've yeah. played NBA 2K16, right? So you've played his video game. I don't. I haven't played that one actually. So, oh, okay. Yeah. Real, real hole in your uh, Spike Lee. Was Ray Allen in that game? That's the question. Is he still in the league? If he wasn't, you know, Jesus Shuttlesworth was. <laughs> That's true. All right. Well, let's let's Ray. move on. We've he should have gone to Kansas instead of the U. I'm sorry. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> Roy Williams was trying to recruit him using Adidas. But whatever. All right. Well, let's let's get to our recasting of 25th Hour. If oh, 25th God, Hour cool. were made today, who would be in this movie? Oh, I love this. Um, this this was... was so fun to think about for the last month. <laughs> <laughs> Every day I've been thinking about this. All right. Well, let's start to go through this. Uh, let's start with Monty played by Edward Norton. Uh, and Zach, we're going to start with you. Good. All right. No gimmicks. You're, you guys aren't doing bullshit gimmicks, right? We're doing straight 2022 recasting. Yeah, I hope. Wait. I hope. I, I, I you can went do whatever straight you want, 2022. I, I did straight 2022 as well. Um, okay, so uh, Monty was hard to cast. Um, I wanted to go with someone who was who could be clean cut and also someone who could be a little bit intimidating. Someone who has a nice face that you have to beat up before he goes to prison because of a preoccupation with male rape. So... Uh, I went with an unconventional pick, thought long and hard about this. Todd's going to hate this pick. I'm going with it anyway. I also really tried hard to get the ages right, Terry. So, you know, okay. right hand to God. Okay. Yes, I'm going here. with, he's not an actor, but I would love to see him in this. I'm going with Machine Gun Kelly. Oh, now listen, God. No. <laughs> Machine Gun Kelly has an image that is not too different from Mont- Montgomery Brogan, right? The women, the excess, the leather jacket, the hair, the face. 
I, I would love to see it. This is assuming that he can act. So I don't know if he can act. I think he can. And I would never see the dirt. I did not see yeah, the dirt. The dirt I'm, yeah. I'm mostly going off his jackass appearance, which was phenomenal. <laughs> so I think the guy could do it and I would love to see it. Not that not that superhero movie you watched last year that he was in. Um with that like 40 year old girl who was playing like a 15 year old or something. Oh, power. 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 Oh, I did not yeah. see Project Power. power. No, it's just was it Project Power or just Power? It sound, Project, Project power. power sounds right. Project Power. Okay. Power's a TV show, I think. That wasn't okay. the one with Joseph Gordon Lovett and the Pills, right? Yeah, that was. Oh, well, he was in that. Okay, well, there we go. He's yeah, a great he gets actor. like exploded in like the first. He's a great actor. <laughs> he, he was he was the friend of uh, Dominique Fishback. There we go. And he was. That's great the at actress. I was. Yeah, the forty-year-old playing a high schooler. <laughs> <laughs> and she's known lovingly on this podcast. Yeah. All right, uh, Adam, go next. Who's your Listen, so, being the first time watching it, I, I, does the uh, do they have to be? I don't know if the book. Do they have to be Irish, Italian, or Irish? Like, oh, you can do it. No. You can spin it however you want. Are you familiar with the concept of a recasting? <laughs> yes. yes, I just didn't know how. The last two or three recastings, I've recasted have you, have twenty you heard years of in the before. <laughs> I'm thinking there's a couple people that could actually do it pretty well. Like I think Daniel Kaluuya could put it be pretty decent as that character. I thought about him, but then I also thought Zac Efron could probably do, be a decent character in there too. You have to take the but guns I, out. Yeah, Daniel Kaluuya. I'm going with Daniel Kaluuya as Monty. Because I was also right. in a world Henry Golden could be a pretty decent Monty too. Ooh, I can see that. But mm-hmm. I couldn't think of anybody who would be good to be his dad, so I didn't go with it. So Daniel right. Kaluuya. There we go. Daniel Kaluuya. There we go. Todd, why don't you go next? Well, I mean, I, I went with uh, Lakeith Stanfield. And I it's him. like, I mean, I know I could put him in every movie, but I just said, screw it. I'm going to go with my actual favorite casting for this. And I think he would be amazing, Monty. I, I think his aura just oozes that of just like this like tortured drug dealer. And I, I know he's played similar kind of things before. And, you know, the nightclub scenes is obviously going to bring up uh, Uncut Gems memories. But, you know, I think I, I and the, especially the the fuck you <laughs> montage is just going to be epic with Lucky Stanfield saying it. And yeah. the, that yeah. was that was the one the one qualification. I was like, it ha- they have to be able to pull that scene off. And I can't That's think of point. any other actor in like in that age range that could actually do it. Uh, well, I mean, Edward Orton is a freak of nature. He's 32. And like, I mean, he, he'd seen, he, like he hit like 25 and it, he, he already felt like he was like 38. Like he was like a, a grown actor in the business and you know, there's nobody like him. So I, I can't, I couldn't come up with anyone 32 ish. That, uh, that fuck you scene. I thought that, um, Riz Ahmed would probably have been done pretty good on that, but he's a little he's older. He's too old. Yeah. yeah he's he's too old. Too. That's why I was like, I can't really put him. He's 38. <laughs> And it's a 33 year old character or whatever. I kept right. the character. I kept the characters their same ethnicities. Just, just out of curiosity. I thought, I thought their ethnicities yeah. were kind of important. Yeah, I, I tried to keep it that too. Um, I went with uh, for Monty. I went with Taron Edgerton. Uh, if you think about it, his uh, Exy in the Kingsman movies is very similar to to Monty, and just kind of the background there. And so he's already kind of played that. And I thought. He's kind of got that pretty face. He's shown that he can play like the nice guy that's rough around the edges before. I thought I thought he'd he'd do a good job. Can we all just agree if we had done this recasting ten years ago, we would have chosen uh, Ryan Gosling? 
that would have been the unanimous pick. Oh yeah. Oh uh, yeah. Or I mean, or Bradley Cooper could have done it too. Maybe I would have gone Gosling. I think Gosling was was born. In fact, he might, maybe could have done it in two thousand two. Would have, would have been younger, but he would have been amazing. Oh, could probably done it too ten years ago. Possibly. Oh. Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah, Gyllenhaal's oh, not bad yeah. either. Yeah, yeah. I thought about Gyllenhaal too. I don't know, like Cooper and Gosling, like they like they could have just like, you know, they both could have been in this movie. They could have been Frank and Monty, just like they were in uh, the place around the pines. You know. There you go. All right. Well, uh, let's let's go with that then. Let's say let, let's go to Frank next. Frank, played by Barry Pepper originally. Zach, who do you got? Okay, I actually originally cast this actor as Monty, but I ca- I went with Frank later because Machine Gun Kelly was too good to pass up. I went with Glenn Powell from uh, uh, yeah. Apollo 10 and a half and uh, everybody wants some everything everywhere all the time. And uh, he, uh, I, the reason I went with Frank over Monty, he originally, I think he kind of looks a little bit like Edward Norton. He's got the hair like Edward Norton. He's got sort of a, a, a an appearance, but the reason I went with Frank is because like Barry Pepper, Glenn Powell also played a baseball player in a movie. Bam. There we go. Get that Hideki Matsui bat out. There you go. <laughs> audition for the sopranos he, he's uh glenn powell is also going to be uh one of the main characters in top gun 2 if it ever actually comes out it's not coming out it's like 1942 <laughs> it's just a myth was frank was the hardest one for me to recast by the way yeah it, it, it wasn't it wasn't an easy none of them were really that easy yeah uh, adam who did you have for frank Frank actually was one of the first ones I thought of because I think I just really like what he's been doing recently, and that's Jonathan Majors. I think uh, he, I would like to, I just like to want to see him in a lot more stuff and having him in that that role where he's in the 90th percentile. I, I think that I could 99th percentile. That yeah, the 99th percentile. But yeah, I, I think Jonathan Majors just I enjoy a lot of his stuff, and I know he was in Loki, Loki, and the harder they fall, and. Uh, Lovecraft County, and he was really, um, he's a really good actor. I just want to see him do a lot the more. Five Bloods. The, the Five Bloods, too, yes. Uh, I want to see him more. So I think Frankie's the same age, too, 32 years old. So I think I, I can see that. Nice. Nice. That's a good one. Todd? So I may be swayed by his like really dapper suit that he wore at the Oscars, and Regina Hall wants to bang him, and that's Simu Liu. Like I, I think oh, he, oh. he he could be <laughs> awesome in this like, you know, button of Wall Street like uh, like role. And I, I don't know, I don't know what he's like as an actor other than when uh, you know Shang Chi. But I mean, I think he could do this kind of thing, and, and it'd, be, it'd be really interesting, uh, yeah. especially if he was to do it right now, like in the middle of his Marvel reign. I, I think it'd be fascinating. Yeah. Although Regina Hall does want to bang J.K. Simmons too, she said that. So maybe yeah. it's not that much of a compliment. And Will Smith, but Jada didn't say anything about that. Yeah. Yeah, true. Uh, I, Simu Liu is a fun follow on Twitter, especially when he posts his, uh, whenever he finds one of his generic, like, stock photo uh, that he did. He did a photo shoot of stock photos that keep popping up on different random websites and businesses. <laughs> <laughs> That's it's funny. funny. It's hilarious. He, he every time he finds one, he posts it to his Twitter account. He goes, "Look, I work for this company now." <laughs> that sounds like it's worth a follow just for that. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. All right, uh, my Frank, I, I went with another kind of 
recent up-and-comer from this last year. Some people thought he should have had a Best Supporting Actor nomination for this last year. I could see him being the the slick, fast-talking Wall Street guy. I'm going Mike Feist from Wall, uh, West Side Story. He kind of looks like Barry Pepper. He does, yeah. right? Yeah, that's pretty good. You should have done him as Monty and Barry Pepper as his dad. There we go. No, Conspiracy theory. <laughs> that would be something Charlie would have done too. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 the ten years ago, if Ryan Gosling is a uh, is Monty, then um, it it's Ben Foster, right? Is oh yeah, yeah. Well, and yeah. I was gonna, I also Giovanni Ravisi, but probably not <laughs> ten years ago, more twenty years ago. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Yeah. All right, uh, Jacob. Played by the late great Philip Seymour Hoffman, Zach Jesse Plemons. Yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah. I'm not still over. It was Jesse Plemons. Next, yeah, next. Thank you. Next. <laughs> However, all right. So I, I do have to say this though. So after I real, I thought Jesse Plemons. I'm like, okay, okay. Then, then if I was going to do a a, a gimmick here, Jesse Plemons would be Jacob. Frank would be played by Jonathan Lipnicki. Monty would be played by Bow Wow. And Naturel would be played by Brenda Song, and we would just do a like Mike reunion as the recasting of Twenty Fifth Hour. I wow. thought about Jonathan Lip Nicky in this cast too. That's that's ridiculous. <laughs> but I didn't do yes. that. Okay. Did you, Moving did you on. call him Jonathan Nip Licky? That sounds like a great porn name. <laughs> Wasn't spitting the letters out very well. <laughs> okay. Sounds like something uh, like Flesh of the Stars would look up or something. <laughs> oh, shit. Um, Natural, uh, played by Rosario Dawson. Uh, Zach, who, who's taking this one? Now, interestingly, in the book by uh, Game of Thrones author David Benioff, Natural's last name is not Rivera. It's actually Rosario. So it was kind of meant to be an amazing coincidence. Um, anyway, this one um, was a, a little bit harder for me to come up with. I went with Ariana DeBose, fresh off her Oscar win. Um, I, I'd love, you know, I think we're all kind of waiting to see what she does next, and I think she would kill in that role. Probably any role, though. Really, anybody from anybody, any non-canceled actor from West Side Story, we could recast in any movie, and it would work. I, I thought about Ariana DeBose, but she's a little too old. Oh, is she? I guess I didn't look up her. I just assumed Rosa she was young. She's 30. Rosario uh, Dawson was 23 when this was made. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm still sticking with it. Okay. Adam, who do you have? I kind of went in a similar, I don't know, not similar. I don't know. I have, my actress is a little, like, a couple years older, but I went with Zendaya on this one. Thought Thanks. about her. Yeah, I think she could do. She, she, I like what she does in a lot of her movies. Uh, I think she she could probably pull this one off. to Have some smart conversations with Monty. I, I can I can kind of see it. The problem with her is that she's not Puerto Rican. Now she could have gotten the flag on her ankle from the planet that she was in in Dune, but that's probably the closest <laughs> you could get. I'm sorry, that was a bad one. I, sorry, God. <laughs> Uh, I'll, I'll go next because I, I said Zendaya also. That, that was my, my pick as well. Um, but yeah, I, 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 w I wish Ariana DeBose was a little younger and then I could have gone with her. Maybe um, one of the girls... Oh, I'll co come back to me. I got to look, look up what her name is. Todd, go. Well, Zendaya can do anything. I, I, I said uh, Naomi Scott. 
who I mean, she probably oh, yeah. is a little too old, but uh, she's 28, I think, now. I looked at that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think it's that difficult of a role to recast. I, I just chose somebody a little older, I guess. I mean, I don't think her age really matters that much. I don't think it matters that she's, you know, 10 years younger than Monty. Like, I don't think that's really a, a talking point in the movie. Well, so. but when they met while she was still in high, still school, in high school, that's kind of a... Yeah, but I mean, four years, ten years, I mean, what does it matter at that point? If he's in college or he's, you know... Or he he never didn't went have to the goatee because he was younger. That was the de-aging. Oh, yeah. That was, was such great makeup work <laughs> they had there, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was very subtle. If you, you know, didn't have the goatee because he was younger. See, you get that? Kind of like how the guy he was selling drugs to ended up being the guy at the beginning of the movie that was all a mess in his life. Did you catch mm -hmm. that? I, I did not. Really? Okay, wow. Actually, I uh, I do have to confess, that was the first time I noticed that too. I, I've watched the movie many, many times, but uh, I guess it's more subtle than I'm giving it. But yeah, Simon goes from being the businessman at the after-school playground to being the junkie uh, at, the, at the pier. Interesting. I didn't, I didn't know that. Notice that. Unless okay, there's um, multiple Simons. So, so since since Adam went with uh, since Adam went with Zendaya, I'll go with somebody else, and I'm going with um, I had to look her up because I knew who it was, but I had to figure out the name. Leslie Grace. Uh, she played Nina in In the Heights. Okay. I don't no. remember. <laughs> okay, Jim. Yep, that's who I'll go with. <laughs> yeah, you you guys don't remember anything about In the Heights, do you? <laughs> no. In the Heights. I just remember that it was a painted background, and I was like, I want my money back, man. That was a that that was a jip, you know. That was just cheap. <laughs> it's called green screen. All right, moving on. Mary, played by Anna Paquin. Zach, what do you got? I went with Billie Eilish. I'm going with Machine Gun Kelly. Why not? Let's let's make this a little more musical. No. Yeah, no gimmicks. Um, and uh, yes, Billie Eilish. I, and if she can't, she shouldn't on the condition that she doesn't try to replace the Terrence Blanchard score. There we go. There we go. Adam. Uh, uh I have Maya Hawk from Oh, okay. Umas and Ethan Hawke's uh, daughter. Yeah, uh, she's been in a couple of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, she has that. Fear Street Part 1, I heard that was actually pretty dang good. I think it's like a horror film on Netflix. Uh, but yeah, I think I, she could probably do it. She's young up, hasn't really done too much, but yeah, Maya Hawk, I'll go with. Nice, nice. Todd? Yeah, this is not an easy one to recast, I don't think. Like, this is totally Anna Paquin, and she had been an Oscar winner for almost 10 years at this point. She was only 19 when this movie was made. I don't know. I went with Jenna Ortega. I just saw her in X. Um, which she's really good in, and I know that she's in the right age range, so that was good enough for me. <laughs> yeah, she was in Scream, the new Scream, too. She's been in everything. She was in that movie about uh, the, the school shooting, too. Blowing up. I, uh, for my pick that for was this... the, the school shooting movie called Blowing Up? Is that oh, movie? no. No. Oh. It was not called <laughs> I was gonna say, that's not, not, it was not the Antonioni movie, no. <laughs> No, it was uh, the Fallout. That's that's what it was called. Okay. <laughs> she was also in she was also in that show with Penn Badgley. Um, you. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Okay. Carrie. Okay. 
<laughs> All right. So, so my my Mary, I I tried to go with someone because uh, I I thought kind of similarly similarly to Todd. Anna Paquin had some awards recognition already, uh, but was still super young and was not that much removed from high school when she played this, um, and it worked. So I was thinking someone who'd had some critical acclaim in a role already. Um, and I, so I went back to the West side story wagon and went with yeah. Rachel Zegler. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. yeah you I hated her I'm, in that. I don't know if I'm seeing that. I, I mean, she, maybe I she know. would have been a better natural. I don't know. I don't know if I see her with a belly button piercing and tattoos and the goth look. I, I don't know. It'd be interesting. Maybe well, she wouldn't necessarily the have Oscars. the goth look, but she would have a look. That would be enticing to Jimmy, Jesse Plemons. I so so my wife suggested that I recast Ansel Elgort as Monty, and I corrected her that he's canceled. But I did kind of strike me that there were a lot of canceled people that I thought would be good for this cast. <laughs> I can add a couple real fast. I, Ansel Elgort would make a really good Monty. Would he be able to have a goatee though? Oh, that's a good Ooh. question. Maybe just young Monty without the goatee. Okay. Obviously, Shia LaBeouf uh, could yeah. would would be Frank. And yeah. then I, I, I think we go Kevin Spacey as Monty's dad. Yeah. And uh, mm. yeah, maybe Nate Parker directs. There we go. It's the canceled twenty oh, fifth yeah. hour. <laughs> wow. There we go. I did see. Oh yeah, the, yeah. There's a new show that Ansel Elgort's doing that is coming out soon. Like, I don't Ooh, think it's out I... yet. Uh, coming out next, yeah, it, it debuts next week on HBO Max called Tokyo Vice. It's him and Ken Watanabe. Oh yeah, yeah I saw a preview for that. So he's not fully canceled. Jerry Pepper's not in that show, correct? Did we, uh, not did we that I can see. <laughs> okay. No. Just confirming. Yeah, it looks like Ansel Elgort and one other person are the only, um, or no, maybe one or two other people are the only ones that aren't Japanese in it. Rinko Kikuchi's in it. There we go. So there's Oscar that. Nominee. Oscar nominee. Okay, uh, where were we? Um, we just finished Mary. We just finished Mary. There we go. Kostya, played by uh, Super Bowl champion Tony Siragusa. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> Zach, where did you go with this one? So many different directions. I went with uh, the most photogenic and the most humorous NFL player currently working these days, and that is Travis Kelsey. Uh, the one and only, and great charisma, great uh, look. Uh, he, I, I think he could pull off the Ukrainian accent too, but that's all speculation. That that would be interesting, for sure. Adam, who do you got? This is a tough one. Uh, this was my my hardest one to pick, um, but I'm going with T.J. Watt. Yeah, I uh, thought about the Watts. Steelers, yeah, the one of the Watts could do it. Heck, you make it a tw like a brothers combo. It's not just one person; it's two of them. Get both of them in there. I think that'd be a good one. I think Bobby Wagner could be an interesting choice too. But I'm going with TJ. All right, all right. None of these guys are really fat, though. I guess mine isn't either. I just think that he he would he would be the one to try the Ukrainian accent. That's of course Rob Gronkowski. Oh, that is. <laughs> Horrible! Like that's the that's the worst <laughs> casting. At least the age that's range. What you want to avoid. That's the thing. Gronk's like thirty-one or something, isn't he? He's he's right around the right age. Yeah, he's around the right age. Yeah. <laughs> he would try it. 
But you know, I'm I sure think it'd be better than Kelsey. Kelsey's Kelsey's a terrible pick. Kelsey doesn't look anything like he could do that. But they probably told Spike that Siragusa was a terrible idea too. So uh, can we just give Spike Spike should win MVP of this podcast just for having the audacity to pitch to a studio's Tony Siragusa with an Ukrainian like, accent in this like super the most serious Italian movie. American fat man you could find <laughs> in the NFL. You're like, yeah, we're ser- gonna make him Ukrainian and, and that's joke that he might be Russian. It. But here's the best part about that. So Tony Siragusa is in this movie, form like Super Bowl champion, former NFL. Was this was he even out of the NFL at this point? I don't even know. No, no, no it's a yeah. year after it. They had to have filmed it like maybe the year the year that they won the Super Bowl, like 2001, obviously, right? Yeah, it must. No, have been. they filmed it in 2002. Okay, I think so, he okay, just so had right retired. After. Yeah. Okay. So he retired after they won. I think he played one more season. I think he retired. In so 01. then he wouldn't have been. Re- they won in 2000. Um, yeah, 2000. yeah, 2001. Okay, so okay, yeah. But here's the thing: he's in this movie, and it's not a gimmick. Like no, every well, like like he's, he's Travis Kelsey. If Travis Kelsey's in this movie, if Rob Gronkowski's in this movie, it's a gimmick. Well, what like, about it, with like Ray Allen? Like Ray, Ray Allen was like just barely in the NBA, right, but he but was playing it, a basketball player. It yeah, needs but I mean, to be the right person that's that's gonna be able to you look at and be like, okay, no, he's just goofing off in this movie. Then not that you need someone who can actually have some authenticity to it and can actually disappear into a role. Like when Elton Brand produced uh, Rescue Dawn. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> can I Something change that my can vote? be taken seriously. Um, I had trouble actually come up coming up with someone for a second. Yeah, I was going to go hard. with Paul Walter Hauser. Oh and, no! And just go that. No, but then no, I found no. I found the perfect one. I've, I've the perfect one. It's not a football player, but it's the perfect Kostya. And Zach, you'll know what I'm talking about. I went with Joey Votto. Okay, Cincinnati. Mm. Okay. I mean, he's Maybe. a good actor, but not not intimidating. Terry and he's, I were texting about Joey Votto up. this week. Mic'd up. He's, he's mic'd yeah, he up. Was, was, he's he's going to get hilarious. a di- he's going to replace one of his he's mic cousins with a diamond. Dude. Yeah, he had to ask Ozzy for a, that. Yeah, he asked yeah. Ozzy Albies what he thought about it on opening day. Can I? I'm going to change my vote. Todd's right about Kelsey. Kelsey's probably not a good actor. I'm changing my vote. I'm going to go Luka Doncic. Because Luca, we know he could have the accent. Oh, well, he just too young. He's a little young, sure, but he served a suspension because he got all those technical fouls. So he's like obviously tough, right? That's 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 the better casting. Joey oh, Votto's bigger than you think. I got one. I got one. Preston and he's Lee. Italian, so he's yes. perfect for a Ukrainian. <laughs> Who do you say, yes. Adam? We got to go Preston Lacey from uh, Jackass. <laughs> yes okay now <laughs> yes now we're getting closer i like that actually that's that's the best one uh you could also play monty's dad though speaking <laughs> of that let's go there james brogan monty's dad played by brian cox zach who do you have uh stick with me here i went with tom arnold so, uh a bigger older guy you know um i i i, I, I i'd see it Billy's dad yeah okay you can make it like a, a joke about who t- who who takes the fucking um, ice cube trays out of the, the freezer, like True Lies <laughs> reference. That'd be great. I, I can dig it. I can dig it. <laughs> make a Roseanne joke. I, I like it. Or or uh, um uh, uh what's the one uh, uh what's the one with the Snoop Dogg was the pilot. Um, he's the only oh, white Soul cast. Plane. Soul, Soul Plane. Plane. Yeah. There was a movie that for? he did that he actually had to reenact True Lies because he was the kid, the, the kid and I. I don't know. Maybe. He's good in True Lies though. Like it. Well, anyway, move. Carry on. 
Adam. All right. Uh, well, I have Daniel Kaluuya, so I'm going with Delroy Lindo. So, there we go. But his parents had sex, though. His parents did have sex. Maybe I'll go with Daniel Kaluuya's dad. But the picture <laughs> of this guy, awesome. if it was Zac Efron, to be it, I would have picked Adam Sandler as Monty's dad. Mm. But he would have to be, uh, you know, Uncut Jim's Adam Sandler. Let me see it. Todd? So Lakeith Stanfield's dad and this is Don Cheadle. I thought that was pretty easy. I mean, he's not—he's not, he's not right. owning a like a stereo store or like a what, whatever the hell he has in Boogie Nights. It's got to be a bar. So get a use your imagination a little bit, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Don Cheadle just seems like that kind of actor. Plus, he's a really big TV actor, and that's what Brian Cox is right now too. Oh, good call. That's so. I'm, I'm that, that is a good call. So I'm looking at Taron Edgerton's dad. You know, looking at someone, Irish-American, you could see owning an Irish bar in New York City, Neil McDonough. Done. Neil McDonough. It's perfect. I don't but know who that himself. is. That's the guy? Yeah, man, Neil McDonough. One of the MVPs for Minority Report from the same year. Come on. Oh, yeah, he was in Minority Report. Who is he yeah, in Minority Report? He's at, yeah, he was one of the, the detect, like the second in command after Tom Cruise. Yeah. He's got bright blue eyes. His bright blue eyes. He plays, yeah. Dak. Look up Neil McDonough. Maybe he's one of those guys that as soon as you see him, you'll go, "Oh, that guy." He plays Fletcher, and that's why you picked him for the guy giving the the impassioned monologue at the no, end. No, but of the he, movie. I, I actually know him from other stuff. He's good. He's a good actor. He was like in Sonic the Hedgehog for like a like a cameo, basically. But I was like, "Wow, oh, he was underutilized." I like Neil McDonough gets roles, but Barry Pepper doesn't. I mean, there's something wrong with the world. It's true. It's true. <laughs> and he's been in a lot of TV shows, it looks like. He's been in Yellowstone, Todd. He was in and Suits. I mean, that makes that makes him a favorite of Todd's right there. Well, I mean, um, yeah, I, I know who Neil McDonough is. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. I just hadn't thought about him <laughs> for any role was, ever. <laughs> I know, but he's, like, perfect for this role. Like, an Irish-American who's going to be owning a bar in New York City? I mean, that's... that's it's perfect. I mean, if you're not going to cast Kyle Chandler, you're going to cast Neil McDonough. The the ten years ago <laughs> casting would have been James Gandolfini. Oh yeah, yeah, well, probably. The drop. Yeah, the drop. exactly like the drop. That's probably what I'm thinking of subconsciously. <laughs> yeah. Tom Hardy's got to be in it too. In Affleck. If it's set in Boston, it's been Affleck. <clears throat> All right, who would Nicholas Cage play? Monty's dad. I can see it. Um, it depends on the time. If it, if this was mid '90s. Nick Cage, he absolutely would be Casio. <laughs> he would be the it, one to, to do that that accent. Today, he would play Nikolai. <laughs> oh, I see, because his name is Nicholas. I went with... Uh, oh, he would did, be, <laughs> I, that's, this is what he does. He, he does these crazy accents. <laughs> I went with he would be Isaiah Whitlock Jr. Um, because he would be the bad lieutenant character. Oh, I it's not in New Orleans. <laughs> Save. He got demoted and transferred to New York City three years before New Orleans. Shit. All right. He, he'd Let's... probably sniff some of it too, right? He'd take a hit. Yeah, he's like, that's the shit. Yep. What exactly was he selling? Like, you can't tell me. It was a brick of that's something. That's a good question. Crystal meth? It wasn't crystal. Like, I mean, it was obviously powder of some kind. Wait, I thought that was the money. Be honest with you. Yeah, song. I think I think you're right. It was was money. 
Well, well the first money thing he, and the and the stuff. He took They're the stuff out there. second. It was a brick of whatever. Yeah. I assumed oh. it was heroin, but I really don't know. They never right. they never specified what he was actually slinging. Oh my guy, and he can tell us real quick if you want. If you want. <laughs> We're gonna go way longer than this movie, by the way. Yeah, just, I was gonna so say let, let's let's pick let's pick up the pace a little bit here. All right, let's let's get into our next part here. Uh, Todd, highest war and worst performance. Go. My highest war is Anna Paquin because I feel like when like there was a couple times wow. in this movie where I feel like this is the role that got her the role in Margaret. Like she's oh, she's sort of yeah, doing the same sense. thing. She's that that like when she's talking to Jacob in the uh, in his office, like I, like her whole thing that she's spinning is exactly what she does the whole movie Margaret. I, and I can't think of another person that would be better. I mean, mine was terrible. My my recasting. My worst performance. There are no bad performances in this, but I went with. Al Palagonia, who is uh, the boss, uh, uh, Frank's boss uh, in, at Wall Street, uh, he he has this like fake, like aura of an Italian Wall Street guy, you know. Like I, I don't know. I mean, it's effective to an extent, but it's all I I just don't think it's very believable. And that's as good as I come up with because everybody's great. All right, uh, I'll go next for these two. So for highest war. Um, I, I I had written down one thing, but I'm gonna change it. I'm going Tony Siragusa as Kostya. Yeah, because I mean, like I said, it, it's it's to be able to pull off that kind of physical character like that, and not even be a trained actor, and then like afterwards you're like, wait a second, that 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 guy would just won a Super Bowl with the Ravens. I mean, it it's it is wild to think that he he could pull that off and, and do it so well. Um, I think it's telling that one of his next, um, his next credit on IMDb after this is the Sopranos. Like I like people saw this and said, you can act, let's put you in, you know, the greatest mob show of all time. So, um, so yeah, I'm going, I'm going Tony Siragusa's highest war. Uh, the, uh, Bill Paxton Memorial worst performance award. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go with, I, I couldn't find who it was, but we've already mentioned him. He was the guy on the playground who becomes the, the tweaker at the end that's bugging Monty. Simon. Si- is it Simon? Okay. Yeah. He's my worst performance. I don't know. He's he's just kind he of... fine. But again, it's kind of hard to find a bad performance, so that's the one I went with. It's fair. All right. Uh, let's go Adam next. Uh, my highest war was going to be Tony Saragusa, but I have to pick somebody else. Uh, I'm going to go with – let's go with Monty. Uh, Edward Norton as Monty. I think at that time frame, I think that's a perfect Edward Norton. Uh, it made Zach want to be him. So I, I think that ha- alone you know, is a role model. So, um, yeah, Tony, he's the highest war for their uh, worst performance. You kind of took some of mine, but I'm going to go with the guy who took his passport photo or his driver's license photo. <laughs> That guy's awesome. You're getting into the no minor character award, but okay. Performances in here. I think Todd kind of nailed on the head. That's the guy that's I would. What a bad performance. Frank's that's, boss. Frank's that's an boss. Amazing performance. I would oh. come with. Okay, that's but not anyway. a bad one. Frank's boss is a little bit over the top. That's that's yeah. actually a good pick. So, go ahead. All Zach. right, Zach. How about you? Uh, best. Uh, I mean, my, Edward Norton's maybe the best performance. I don't know if it's highest war. Tony Saragusa, obviously great pick. I'm gonna go with Brian Cox. 
just because, you know, there's, I'm sure that you could go with a lot of 60-ish actors, bigger actors in the early 2000s, but Brian Cox just commands the screen every time he's on it. He's in, he does a Beatrice straight thing in this movie. He's on for two scenes and he just blows, he, he nails it. Uh, he's my supporting actor winner in, 20, in 2002, by the way. Uh, worst performance, I went with uh, the actor who plays Uncle Nikolai, uh, Levani, Levani. Um, just because it's uh, not necessarily a bad performance, but like he's clearly coming off the heels of Malkovich as Teddy KGB. And Malkovich did so much with that role. And I get that this character's only in really one scene. All he really does is just kind of look upward for some reason. And there's not a lot of charisma there. This was an Al Pacino role, um, but meant for an actor who could swing for the fences like, like Pacino. Um, uh, this coffee is on fire! Right, Terry? Uh, and uh, yeah, he, he just didn't really do it. That was a horrible Pacino. Yeah, I know. I, I, yeah, I fire! That's what you needed. All right. Um, amazing Larry Big Tim High Roller, minor character of the film award, goes to who, Adam? I don't know. I think there's something about the guy who's taking driver's license photos and like God little... damn it, Adam. <laughs> Stop stealing my shit. <laughs> this little shop. Like, I don't know. It kind of reminds me like like the guy who's making fake IDs on like Vegas, the Vegas strip and on the Vegas vacation or Justin Long's character and accepted. There's something about that guy. I think I, I envision that's how McLovin got his ID. It's that guy. Right yes. It's a great conspiracy theory. Yes. He looks like he huh? should be like, he's an actor that would be in a Sean Baker movie today. Like Sean yeah, Baker would, would find him on the street and put him in his movie. Yeah. Good call. He uh, also looks like he could be in Jackass somewhere. With Preston Lacey and Machine Gun Kelly. Zach, who's yours? Oh, it was obviously the 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 photographer. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I I guess I'm intrigued by the by the uptown brother who travels egregiously. It's the worst travel I think I've ever seen. Um, and even Spike jokes about it on the director commentary. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, you know, you could go with the Hasidic jeweler or the sweet squeegee man or the Upper East Town Wives. You're not fooling anybody, honey. Um, but I'm, I just, I love that, the, the the photographer. And he's so nice, you know? He's like, oh, you got a good smile there, James. You know, let's let's see that smile. Like, he's, he's nice, reassuring, you know? He's great. I want, the sequel should be about that photographer. I bet he becomes a part of their lives uh, as they grow old together when they tell their kids about their story. Nice, nice. Uh, my my favorite minor character is uh, Phelan for uh, yes, thinking that one. a striped shirt and a striped tie would work and that it was for the ladies. However, if you watch TV these days, like most people on TV, like men on TV will wear a suit with a striped shirt and a striped tie. So he was ahead of his time. Phelan would obviously be re recast in the 2012 version of this movie as Christopher Mintz Plass, right? <laughs> yeah, I am Phelan. <laughs> <laughs> all right Todd, who's yours well, this is bullshit because obviously the best minor character is agent flood i mean we oh, can yeah, use yeah. the agent flood award i mean yeah <laughs> like he's he's doing like a jules winfield thing in that scene where he's just like you know talking around them he's almost taunting them and he sits on the couch he's like uh this couch seems a little uncomfortable don't you think you know yeah you know, i don't know i mean Obviously, he's the best, but I, but the one I was going to say, if I didn't, you didn't leave me with do the right thing at the end, like like we did with Zach, was uh was Kari, 
which is played by the great Patrice O'Neill. Oh He's yeah, the, the doorman at the club. Oh, yeah. There's a time I, I, I want to know temper. more about that that the relationship between Monty and, and Kari. Like I, I think yeah. that their their friendship is it, it could it could be a fascinating thing as if we're doing a recasting or not a recasting a, a sequel spinoff thing. But I, and of course Patrice is never in anything. Like he's just a stand up guy. And so inspired my, casting. My uh, my conspiracy theory is uh, Craig Robinson's character in Knocked Up is based off of. Kari in 25th hour. There we go. <laughs> I like it. All right. Um, Stickman douchebag. Uh, I'll go first. Uh, my Stickman is Agent Flood. Because, you know, <laughs> I, 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 he, he, he knows what he's doing. <laughs> he, he knows that he knows good couch. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He, he, you can feel on his couch. He knows a good couch. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, and then, then my uh, my my Billy Bats douchebag is um, is Marcus in the um, in the Marcuse. Um, yeah, because his last his name is in an E. Well, this he just calls him Marcus, doesn't he? He says Marcuse. Does he say yeah. Marcuse? Well, that yeah. there is enough to be a douchebag that your name his is name's all the actor's name is aaron stanford that that is a total douchey name Mar- marcuse i mean it, it it's like he 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 forgot what college he went to was it marquette the guy or pyro in I'm the x-men just movies say Gary. It's marcuse that was, was pyro pi- yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious that that adds to the douchiness because that character was a douchebag um yeah marcuse because someone thought that name was cool so that makes him a douchebag. <laughs> Todd, what do you think? Uh, Stickman, I wrote down uh, Andrew Marvel, who is the uh, the poet. Who oh, wrote the, the poet. Po- That's a great <laughs> call to his coy mistress. Yes, exactly. Because he just that wants was... to bang. That's a great freaking call, man. I, I wow. thought I was stealing that from you. Of that. <laughs> um, and the really douchebag. There's a lot of douchebags. I mean, I mean, uh, it's it's hard to argue with the squeegee men, uh, d- dirtying up their windshield. You know, get a real fucking job. Um, but I also wanted to say the Upper East Town East Side wife because she like she is awful. Like she, that is as douchey of a female character I've seen in a long time. <laughs> the squeegee man's a great call too. I love that's how he opens the monologue too. Like that's what he's got to get off his chest is the squeegee man. Well, no, the, man. that was the second one. The panhandler is the first one. Oh, okay, excuse me. But they're, they're they're sort of in the same the same shot almost. <laughs> is that a real thing? Has anybody ever squeegeed your car? Yeah, not while I'm driving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I've, I've heard of it being a real thing, but I've never actually. Seen it it. kind of seems like a courteous thing to do, not so much a douchey thing. But you know, who's <laughs> dirty? They run up to you while you're at a stoplight <laughs> and then force you to pay before you can leave. <laughs> okay. I'm just, uh, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just like a skinny Pete uh, type of racket that he would run in Exactly. Yeah, 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 there totally, we go. Totally. <laughs> and Badger's uh, got the spinning sign. Yeah. <laughs> Look right here, yo. Uh, all right. <laughs> Zach, who do you have? I'm just blown away by the Andrew Marvel. I'm, I'm very impressed. Uh, that, that was very well done. I, not a lot of stickmen in this movie. I think this, uh, Jacob Alinsky is the anti stickman because what is he doing giving her a bad grade? Like that is, what, he what? worked. Yeah, and he, it she also was still into him. 
I, well, I 62%, guess sixty-two so. percent, man. Sixty-two. That you know, it was that trust fund money. Um, no, I went with Naturel's mother. I mean, the woman hates Doyle. The woman is clearly, and maybe I speak a little bit from my own experience. Uh, the woman is clearly, um, you know, not right, and uh, you know, calling the police probably, and uh, you know, um, not seen in the movie, but apparently a big enough uh, odor on their life that he he knows that she's at the door when it's actually Agent Flood, who, as Terry says, is the biggest stick man. But um, yeah, Natural's mother. That that's your that's your stick man or douchebag? Oh, douchebag. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Was that, uh, stick man. Stick man. I went with uh, the guy who bought Mary's tattoo. Oh. <laughs> that's, that's pretty good. Yeah. I thought about going for either stick man or douchebag. The kid sitting next to Anna Paquin in class. Um, oh, oh, sorry, Adam. Go for it. Go for it. <laughs> yeah, that was my douchebag. It's the one that was <laughs> the one that needs to go to the bathroom. Allegedly, yeah, it's like, yeah, <laughs> that guy's ridiculous. But my biggest stick man is gonna be uh, the, the doorman, Patricia O'Neill, like, because yeah. he can use the power who can go in and out of this room. Hey, I could take a five minute break real quick, I'll pull you aside, and there you go. Wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. But uh, well, I don't know, that's my two choices, nothing too crazy. But that. and if he really is a relative of Craig Robinson, I mean, Craig Robinson, I would, I would destroy that ass, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> don't tear that ass uh, up. Uh, exactly exactly right yeah see that perfect perfect system yeah okay, yes, okay so so the kid sitting next to anna paquin in the in the class uh i was watching this uh with my wife and that scene comes up and and it just kind of pans around the classroom and it shows him and she goes wait that guy looks like channing tatum so if you go back and look at it, it looks like Channing Tatum with long hair and what he would have looked like in 2002. There we go. It wasn't, but it's, it looked like him. This 21 Jump Street persona. Maybe. There you go. There you go. This 21 Jump Street and 25th Hour exist in the same universe. See, there we go. There we go. There we 25th go. Jump Street. 25th Jump Street. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there we go. Now we're talking. Jonah Hill was down the hall. <laughs> Uh, all right uh best scene zach uh well there's three uh many you could choose from i guess but really three stick out i'll leave the i'll, I'll let i'll let todd handle the fuck you montage but I'm, I'm gonna go with the end uh the the end is extraordinary i've mentioned it earlier uh it's just it tingles every time you got the biggest uh uh minor character in this movie in that sequence as well you got um, the the drinking and the the Greyhound bus and her arriving in the dress. It's it's wonderful, very good aging, uh, and uh, just a, a wonderful final moment. And uh, that's what that's what makes the movie is that is that final sequence. No movie has ever done it better than that. Done the thing where it's like, did this really yeah, yeah. happen, or was the character imagining it? Yeah, yeah, that's a good call. That's a good call. Uh, let's go, Adam. Yeah, that was kind of kind of mine as well. Is that ending was was really dang good, and I, I was like, kind of wanted not him not to go to prison, but at the same time as he may have gone to prison. It's like what what actually could have happened. But if I'm trying to pick something different, okay, I don't, I don't know. Come back to you. Yeah, come back to me real quick. Let me think about it. All right, we'll go to Todd next. 
I mean, should I talk about the montage? I mean, that, that should be like the agreed upon one, but I can't. Like, <laughs> I mean, I think that's maybe the best scene in the history of movies. Although I forgot about it for our bathroom scenes. Power oh, yeah, hey, wow. Did we all forget about it? You pulled an Adam. I, I think, I think Zach, it. I think you had it as like an honorable mention or something because you wow. thought it was going to be all of our number ones or something. But I don't know. I mean, I. The, the other, I mean, I, I, I could talk about that one. The other one I would mention is the the nightclub scene between Frank and Monty when they're looking down on the floor and, and like, talking about, you know, everything. Like, that's just a great scene. But there's a whole bunch of those scenes where they're, they're just characters talking to each other. But the fuck you scene is the most epic rant in the history of movies. And I, I there, there's things that pop up. Like, I don't know why all these Edward Norton movies at the time had to be, like, basketball adjacent. Like, I mean, in American History X, he's got the scene that looks an awful lot like the, the, the black and white scene where he's playing basketball against the brothers in American History X. And in Rounders, he plays basketball. Uh, in Italian Job, there is basketball scenes, but he's not in them. But I feel like he probably would be. I mean, if Jason Statham is in them, he could be. Like, he should do a sports movie, I feel like. That's all just related to the, like just a, at that one part of the that scene. And, and, but everything that he does in that rant, I I can't hear anybody's any other voice say it other than Edward Norton's voice. And it it covers everything. It lasts like what four or five minutes, and it's just the most hypnotic scene in the history of movies. It's got to be the best scene. The only thing against it is that Spike did a very similar scene in Do the Right Thing, where he had characters spouting off racial uh, stereotypes. It was a different scene. I think it was different enough to say yeah. it wasn't plagiarism, but I, I feel like if I were to watch this movie for the first time today, I'd be like, Spike already kind of did that. But it wasn't a problem with me in 2002. It's not really a problem, period. It's just, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, just I mean, I, if maybe that's just his thing. I don't know. I love the way it's edited, though, like how like it, I think if you want to be an editor and you had to pick one scene to watch to learn how to be an editor, pick that scene. Oh, yeah, I got my scene, by the way. OK, go for it, Adam. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman and Barry Pepper talking at the diner. I think that uh, talk about the percentiles, what they fall in and, you know, immediately uh, you have chronic bad breath. Uh, I think that puts you down in the 62nd percentile. Uh, I, I enjoyed that kind of back and forth. I think anything when they're back and uh, them uh, in a scene together were uh, really good. So, yeah, I'm going to go with the one at the, eating at the diner, talking about the percentiles. I think that's a really good scene. Yeah, it's a really emotional scene, too, where he's all where he's saying like he's like no you're never going to see him again regardless of what which of the three decisions he makes like you're never seeing him again like i mean like barry pepper owns that scene like yeah i agree yeah. That, that was on my list as well it's yeah, a good that... scene it doesn't really move the story forward i'm kind of surprised it wasn't a deleted scene but it's a good scene i i agree like i like that it's in there and I, I wish movies were good enough to justify scenes that don't always move the plot forward, but are just there for, for more character development, like that scene. Yeah, I feel like there's like four or five scenes like that in this movie that don't necessarily need to be there, but they you have no problem with watching them in that moment. Yeah, uh, so what I had written down was the ending. And then what I was going to say after that was uh, the, the diner scene. So, so you guys are just taking all mine. But one thing I, I will say about the diner scene and also uh, the scene in um, in Frank's apartment too. Though, like those two are like back to back and they're very similar. 
I love how it establishes their relationship because you realize that Jacob is the one guy who can call Frank out on his crap. Like he, yeah. like, like Frank is just going, uh, just spouting off all this, all this garbage about how cool he is. And Jacob's like, dude, what the hell are you talking about? Well, <laughs> you're, and, and you're an idiot. I think there's a lot of subtlety in that relationship, which I love. And what is the catalyst for Frank beating the shit out of Monty? It's when Monty strikes Jacob. And Frank basically is like mm -hmm. defending Jacob. He's like, "What the hell? Why? How could you slap him?" I think that says a lot about their their friendship. Yeah. Well, and that and that's a great scene too. Um, the that whole scene where he convinces them to beat him up. But I would say my favorite. What what I'll go with is um one like I said it's been it's been forever since I'd seen this movie. But one of the few images that stuck with me this entire time from this movie. Um, is uh, is the scene where um, where Jacob kisses Mary, and when he leaves, and you have the 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 track shot, and the look on Philip Seymour Hoffman's face of knowing that his life is now over, while he's just gliding across the floor, for whatever reason, after all these years, that that face, that shot, is one that has stuck in my brain from this movie more than almost any other shot so well that was like a thing that they did at the time where they had like the body floating with the camera only on their face it was, like they had that. It was totally a spike lee thing well no i mean there was there was yep. one of those in requiem for a dream too like uh where marlon wayans like uh, after the shootout drug deal Martin thing Martin. like like there were like it was a thing of the time but it, it was it was also a spike thing. Spike, spike did, did it and do the right thing. He did it. Yeah, in, uh, he's, he's in not, yeah, X. He did it in Inside Man. He, I mean, he does it. He did it twice in this movie because Mary does it earlier on too. Um, yeah, but that that for whatever reason that that shot of Philip Seymour Hoffman's face as he's realizing his life is over, that that always yeah. stuck with me. So well, like the 30, 35 minutes out the nightclub is. Is a, I mean that that's as good as this movie gets. Like I mean, it would yeah. like it that that is the the part of the movie that stands out. If there were a sequel, or oh, or if you have anything, any conspiracy theories, flaws, flaws outdated, anything like that, it's gotta be Twenty Fifth Jump Street now. Yeah, well, yeah, obviously Twenty Fifth Jump Street. Well, okay, so I was thinking about how. Uh, Cassia is basically Luca Brasi, right? Like, oh, I, I think yeah. seeing him as, in like in his family could be like a Mike Big Fat Greek wedding kind of comedy because of how bad they are speaking English. <laughs> I mean, I, I I think it would be really really hilarious seeing him as like the main character of, of something. Put some Windex on. Plus, like yeah. he is so dumb. Like how nobody nobody's gonna think that that dog's a pit bull. I mean, because and if you really are that <laughs> dumb, you're not like gonna even know the name of it, and you're not even gonna switch the words around. Like, there's no way that dog's a pit bull, and then you're not gonna say it's a bull pit because you're obviously dumb enough to know that it's. You, you can't know that. It, I mean, you gotta know it's not a pit bull. I don't know. I mean, I guess that's sort of a flaw. It also would add to the uh, <laughs> the comedy of the Casio family. What was the, what was the one one line he kept on saying wrong uh, or using wrong? You know what's funny. Is that... so, it's funny that you uh, you should mention yeah. that. Oh, it, <laughs> it's funny you said that. It's funny you said that. That's what I'm it's funny that you said that. Yeah, it's a funny thing you no said. Sense. So it's funny you said that. Yeah, <laughs> funny you should say that. Yeah, yeah. 
that was gonna be my opening. It's, to- it's total. It's total comedy. <laughs> so, so I I don't have a sequel. Uh, but what one thing I did write down is um once again, Barry Pepper should have been in either Boiler Room or Margin Call or both. Yeah. All right. Like like Barry Pepper could have been the Simon Baker character in Margin Call. Could have been in Wall Street and Money Never Sleeps, too. He should have been the Josh Brolin character. I think he's more the Paul Bettany character in. uh, Oh, that's that's probably a better call, yeah. Mm. He could have been one of the guys in Wolf of Wall Street as well, but he didn't like Gordon Gecko. Could have been. Yeah. He could have been in a bathtub instead of Margot Robbie in the big short. He could have been he could have been the Matthew McConaughey character in Wolf of Wall Street. That's that's inspired. Gotta get those numbers up. I can see the that. Rookie numbers. I can see that. Okay, All I, right. I, I didn't have Go a ahead. sequel, but I'll say a couple flaws in it. I, I wouldn't put this movie in my 30s anymore. Uh I, it, it's a movie that I loved when I was 18 years old. I, I still love it, but in a different way now. Um, I, this movie is so preoccupied with Edward Norton getting the shit kicked out of him so he doesn't get uh, prison raped. It's just preoccupied with that. Like, can we move on a little bit? Like, the macho bullshit is a little bit much in this movie. I also, my wife and I discussed this. We, I, I, I feel as though Naturel is an underdeveloped character in this movie. I, the, Rosario Dawson is great in it. She needs more scenes. And I don't accept that she would just been okay with Monty coming home in the middle of the night saying, sorry, it wasn't you. And, so, and then she wouldn't have said, oh, I fucking told you so. And, uh, and then she's just okay with him getting the sh- shit uh, kicked out of him. I, I, don't, I don't see that with that character. Um, and then I also think it is un- unacceptable that final song choice. Now I get Bruce Springsteen has an association with 9-11, but that is a terrible end song choice. And the only song that should have ended this movie is Bra by Simonod, which is that song, but it's all right, which I will forever associate with this movie. That should have been on the end credits. The pump up instead of some bullshit Bruce Springsteen shit. Okay. Okay. Oh, uh, sorry. Two more things real fast. I don't think Spike Lee has ever seen The Wire because in his commentary, he talks about how Isaiah did the shit thing for him one day and he loved it. And when he talks about it, I don't think he's seen The Wire. I don't think he's aware that that was from that was that was Clay Davis. I don't and, think that he said that in season one of The Wire. I think that's oh, probably okay. originated here. And then it but I mean, it depends on when they when they film the, the commentary. OK, because. Well, Clayton Davis wasn't wasn't in all of the wire. Okay, so maybe it's a conspiracy theory, but not the one I'm saying. And then the only other thing I was going to say is the shot of them. There's a shot that is lifted directly from Once Upon a Time in America. Todd, did you notice that? It's like the same shot when the kids are walking and the bridge is in the background in Once Upon a Time in America. And this movie, it's I think when they leave the club and you can see the Brooklyn Bridge, it's like the cover image of Once Upon a Time in America. I didn't notice that. All right, never mind. We'll cut that. <laughs> it's it's a very popular shot. Like that you're you're talking like yeah, down maybe. the alley of yeah, the, of the yeah, Brooklyn yeah. Bridge. Yeah, I mean I... Yeah, you know what you know where else you see that? In Sesame Street. I mean you see that ev- that shot is well, everywhere. Okay. Touche. <laughs> Probably everything everywhere at once, except I just yeah, fell asleep. Exactly. Right a little bit of everything all the time. Jeez, uh... Gary. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um any other anything else? Conspiracy theories? Anything? Other than what uh, day of the week is it? Did we ever figure that out? I think it's a Friday. I'm not sure though. 
I think she's I mean, saying it, that it he has says, to be. Why are you on a school Just because he doesn't have to go to work the next day? But like, I think uh, he asks Mary about, what are, you, what are you doing on a school night or something like that? So maybe it's a Thursday. I don't know. Does he say that? Well, I think, when he, I think when there's he sees a line her like at the that. club? I think there's a line that's something about school night, but I could be wrong. What kind of nightclubs are open during the week? It's uh, got to be a Friday. Sick, man. New York nightclubs? I don't know. I would, yeah. I don't They're not even open in Vegas on, on we, during the week. It's still open Friday, Saturday, Sunday. <laughs> or Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I don't know. But New York is the city that never sleeps. So. No. What? I don't know. <laughs> on Wall Street, money never sleeps. There we go. Now we're talking. This is going downhill. This, this is going downhill quick. All right, let's wrap this up. LVP, MVP, and we'll he- head on out. Um, Adam, LVP, MVP. Uh, MVP is my first time watching this and being on an episode with you guys, so that's pretty easy. LVP is just creepy teachers trying to hit on students. That's good. That's not a, that's not a good look. He wasn't trying. He was oh, trying God. not to. He was trying not <laughs> he, to. He gave a valiant effort. He gave a despite valiant everybody effort. else's urges. Yes. Uh, no, LV, uh, I don't know. LVP. I don't know. I don't know. Getting addicted to drugs. Drug addiction. There, there we, there we, there we go. go. This was an anti-drug movie. That was the purpose of it. Drug addiction. And, and overturning his conviction in court. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was Rockefeller laws, man? <laughs> draconian uh all right i'll go next uh my lvp is uh kenneth lonergan for watching this movie and thinking anna paquin should have been in margaret yeah todd oh, made that um, point though i i know that's why <laughs> he made my, that point so i made i made kenneth lonergan my lvp so you're saying mary is margaret in a, in a multiverse although her name wasn't margaret was no it? she just she could have been mary I don't know. She could be Margaret like the next year, even like I don't know Isn't when that, the movie was probably shot like in the next year. Who is Mar? Isn't that is that Alice? I, I think Danny? they were shot simultaneously. No, it's it's like some poet, right? Or it was a line from a poem. To yeah, his poet her name is Lisa. Oh, okay. Anyways, not Plexia. Another another problem with the, with the movie. Uh, MVP. My MVP is New York City, uh, because it definitely plays a plays a character in this and especially at that time uh in having like like we said before having that post 9-11 world I, one of my favorite parts was the scene where they were in his apartment just overlooking ground zero being uh being cleaned up still that i thought that was really cool um and uh i, I was just in new york like last month and it was and uh, it, it's a great city, and it definitely plays a role in this movie. So that's my MVP. Let's go to Todd. Uh, so my LVP, it's a tie between uh, the the mattress that that couldn't hold the the cash, and uh, also peep everybody who puts the in front of twenty fifth hour because that's not the title. Like it's just twenty fifth hour. It's cleaner, you know. It's like a book had the. Yeah, I know, but I mean, everybody <laughs> says the movie with the twenty fifth hour, like they say the Joker. It's not the Joker; it's just Joker. Uh, a social network reference, by the way. Yes, exactly. And my MVP is, of course, Aisha Coley, who is the casting director, because, like I said, this is the best cast chemistry I've ever seen in any movie ever. Well, and, and if she had the idea for Saragusa, I think Spike did. Spike said that he saw Saragusa on Hard Knocks and thought he'd make a great actor. Was Hard Knocks around then? Yeah, he says it in the commentary. Really? I, yeah. I, don't I thought that was like K 
came out around like 2008 or something. Okay. Oh. Call uh, me a liar. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Zach, LVP, MVP. Uh, LVP, I have two LVPs. One is Red Bullshit. You drink more of that Red Bullshit, it's going to go to your head. That's what Frank's boss says. And uh, I also had Vincent Descala's dead grandma because not only does she croak, but he writes a paper about her. Apparently, he was kicking it with girls and slapping girls' asses. Also, Vincent Descala, underrated stick man. I don't know why his yeah. name didn't come up. Um, MVP of the movie, uh, I mean, I want to go with Terrence Blanchard because the music makes this movie. You, you hear that music, you think this movie, it's amazing music. But you got to go Spike. There's no other director that could have done this movie and made it as good, with the possible exception of maybe Scorsese. No, nobody could have made this movie as good as Spike did. Spike was the perfect pick for this material. Aronofsky's and, a New York guy too. I think Aronofsky could. Oh yeah, made Aronofsky. This movie. May, yeah, but I think I don't. I don't know if he would have had the soul that Spike ha conveys in this movie. Like I don't think Aronofsky. I, I, he would have made it. You know, at the, at the end of the movie, they would have done a bow or some bullshit like that, like a black swan or something. Um, and uh, oh, are we doing quote of the day? <laughs> sure. Go to okay. quote of the day. Uh, my quote of the day comes from james brogan who says this this life came so close to never happening great great line to end the movie is that one of the best ending lines to a movie ever it, it's a, it's a this point. this life came so close to never happening like what's so great about that ending is it's like depressing but hopeful at the same time it's genius all right apparently I'll go you, next were, with you weren't moved by it but okay no it, 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 it's a great line it really is I'll go next. Uh, I'll uh, I'll quote what you quoted at the very beginning, but correctly, and that's uh, champagne for my real friends and real pain for my sham friends. There mm. we go. Not whatever the hell you said. <laughs> <laughs> Adam, your next quote of the day. I'm gonna go with my conspiracy theory guy. Make, gotta go bring it back to 2007 or uh, yeah, McLovin. Uh, super bad. <laughs> Uh, this is Evan talking. Stay the calm, okay? Let's not lose our heads. It's, it's fine. It, it, ID, it, it's going to work. It's passable, okay? This isn't terrible. I mean, it's it's up to you, Fogel. This guy's either going to think, you're here's another kid with a fake ID, or here's McLovin, a 25-year-old organ donor, okay? So what's going to be? And that's what I leave you guys with. What's I think you thought this was a super bad deep dive. We're not <laughs> deep diving that. I may not be on that episode, so I had to bring that up. That's just a great movie to deep dive. Did, did Evan and Seth grow and, and Vogel grow up to be Monty and Frank and Jacob? No, we that's got a conspiracy. I feel like this is this is more like a alpha dog sort of territory. Yeah, <laughs> I am feeling. <laughs> that's the quote of the day. That is the quote of the day. <laughs> <laughs> all right todd what, what do you got <laughs> wrap us up uh so this is quoting frank he says i'm irish i can't get drunk all right i know exactly what i'm saying and that does not That's describe cool. zach on any episode of this podcast <laughs> yes <laughs> boom boom put that as the uh, uh tag. well fuck go. the times i read the post <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's true I, I feel like he says that in pour the room or giovanni does like <laughs> Uh, Adam, did you say that McLovin was an organ donor, or did you say he was an Oregon donor? Because it kind of sounded like you said Oregon. <laughs> well, he's from Hawaii, okay? He's, being, he's an Irish well, organ Hawaii donor. Irish R&B singer. <laughs> what are you, sealed? Do donated some Jameson. All right. 
uh, with that, we're going to draw this podcast to a close. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll be back at you next week with another episode. Until then, have fun watching movies, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Hey, Seal. Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.